there, everybody. Angela Bowen here, the host of the Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast, and the Looking Back on My Wonder Years, an unofficial Wonder Year, the Wonder Years podcast. I'm sorry, it's been a while since I've said that. So today I'm going to be reviewing the first of a trilogy of movies that I will be covering this month in January, next month February, and of course March. Of course the ser- the trilogy that I'm speaking of is based on a book series, Sarah Plain and Tall, which was made into three Hallmark movies. Now I know what you're thinking, probably, yeah, Hallmark. <laughs> no, this is back, and I'm not saying anything bad about the Hallmark movies. There are some good ones out there. So, this Hallmark movie was put out in 1991. Now, as I said, this movie is based on a book series by Sarah McLaughlin. And the book was published... I know it was published before 2001. I will tell you that right now. Goodreads is saying 2001. No, I read this back in 1992 when I was in fourth grade. It was the first time I had read, and it is a very short book. It's only like 64 pages. Actually, and I didn't realize this till at least a few years ago when I was in a bookstore. There are, this is not just a trilogy of books. It is more than even a quartet. It is a five book series. And also the movie, the third movie, Winter's End, the book title for that is actually called Caleb's Story. But today, and when I finish Winter's End, I actually, I think I might do a little podcast about the two, final two books in the series, More Perfect Than the Moon and Grandfather's Dance. So, but today I'm focusing on Sarah Plain and Tall. I'm going to read the book summary from Goodreads because it gives a little bit more to it. And then I'll jump back onto IMDb. This beloved Newberry medal-winning book is the first of five books in the Patricia McLaughlin chapter book series about the Whitting family. Set in the late 19th century and told from young Anna's point of view, Sarah Plain and Tall tells the story of how Sarah Elizabeth Wheaton comes from Maine to the prairie to answer Papa's advertisement for a wife and mother. Before Sarah arrives, Anna and her younger brother Caleb wait and wonder, will Sarah be nice? Will she sing? Will she stay? This children's literature classic is perfect for fans of Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House on the Prairie books, historical fiction, and timeless stories using rich and beautiful language. Sarah Plain and Tall gently explores themes of abandonment, loss, and love. I remember a neighbor of mine who was a few years younger than me actually had the first movie. And I immediately fell in love with it. I fell in love with the story, too, just because I grew up on a farm. And this book really spoke to me. Those of you that have listened to my podcasts over the years know that my mother suffered from lupus growing up. And she didn't... That's the word I'm looking for. 
she didn't get a chance to be a mother in my life. So I did, not that I didn't have mother figures. I had an aunt who had taken me in for a couple of years. I also had a grandma that lived very close by. But I definitely identified with Anna as far as when Sarah came to live with them. And when I say identify, I actually probably mean more when I got older and my father started dating Pam, who I've also talked about on the podcast. And just kind of my reluctance there. So I understand Anna's reluctance in this, which I will get into when I'm covering the movie. As far as the movie versus the book, because I just recently reread the first book and I actually had never read the others. So I got them all on my nook. I'm like, okay, I'm going to cover the movie. So I want to read the series and kind of see what's different. Definitely there are things in the movie that don't happen in the book or they happen off screen. But the dialogue, the dialogue, I am telling you, in the movie is 100% word for word from the book. And I remember, I didn't even know they had made a sequel movie until I was an adult. I was 21 years old. I had just started working at Hollywood Video. And I was cruising through the drama section, VHSs, and what do I come upon? Skylark, the second movie, of course, same actors reprising their roles for all three films. And actually, the third movie had been out for at least a couple years until I was in a Hallmark store. You know how they have their VHS Hallmark Gold movies? Oh, wait, what is it? Hold on. Uh, Gold Crown Collector's Edition Hallmark movies. I was in the local small town Hallmark, and I just happened upon it, and I'm like, they made a third one, and I didn't even know the third book was called Caleb's Story, until I think I, after I'd seen the movie, I went out to the library, and I'm like, well, let me look, and I'm like, Caleb's Story, with, uh," and I read the synopsis, it's pretty much verbatim the same exact thing, so now I'm going to start talking about the movie as far as who's in it, So as I said, the movie was made in 1991. Here's the synopsis, simple synopsis on IMDb. A single New England woman responds to an advertisement by a Midwestern widower in this, excuse me, in which he asks for a bride to help him raise his two children. This has a 7.3 out of 10 rating based on 1998 ratings. I'm sorry. Glenn Close plays Sarah Wheaton. We have Christopher Walken playing Jacob Whitting. Sarah Wheaton, of course, comes from Maine. Jacob, I believe they live in Kansas. We have Lexi Randall playing Anna Whitting. She is the oldest of the two Whitting children. You would most likely be familiar with her from 1994's The War, the movie with Kevin Costner and Elijah Wood. She also played an older sister in that movie. Very, very good. And we also have Christopher Bell, who plays young Caleb Whitting, the youngest Whitting child of the two, of course. And uh, he, his 
resume is very, very small. It looks like in between the two Sarah Plain and Tall movies, he was just in a television movie. He was in an episode of The Magic School Bus, which we know is an animated show, or was. He was in nine episodes as Bastion in The Never Ending Story, which ran from 95 to 96. Then in 1999, he reprised his role as Caleb Whitting in the Sarah Plain and Tall Winter's End movie. And then he pretty much retired from acting. Looks like IMDb tells us... Okay, so he was in 82. Okay, so he's actually my age. Interesting. Born in or Ontario, Canada. And he's known for his work on Skylark, Sarah Plain and Tall, and The NeverEnding Story. Uh, voice. <laughs> well, why don't they have Winter's End on here? I mean, in his bio... I don't know. Anyway, okay. Let's see if there's any trivia. I'd like to look at the trivia. Of course, Glenn Jordan was the one who directed this. Now, I don't know if he directed the other two or whether it was just the first movie. Let's see. Winter's End. Okay, okay. Good, good, good. Oh, it looks like he had a hand in some other Hallmark films. Oh, good for him. Oh, The Dance with the White Dog. Don't know what that is. Okay, so he did direct all three. There's a movie on here he did about the Challenger. Wow. Mm, TV movies too. That's great. Okay, so okay. Thank you, Glenn Jordan. Thank you, thank you. Reviews. Here we go. Trivia. Boom. Okay. John and Ada Bryan's old home served as the wedding house. The Bryans lived in the home. Who are the Bryans? Um, um, I don't know what that other, okay. When a location scout for Sarah Plain and Tall came upon the house, he knew he'd found an ideal location. Movie writer Patricia McLaughlin said that the story was based on a true life event from her family's history. That is very interesting. The gravestones for the small cemetery where Jacob's wife, Catherine, lay were hand-carved out of sheets of styrofoam and then painted and stained to look like old headstones. A long search was made to find working steam engine for Sarah's arrival. One was found at the museum in Grand Island, Nebraska. Train was built in 1908 by the Baldwin Locomotive Works. Unfortunately, the train needed extensive repairs before its fires could be stoked. A timely contribution from the Sarah Plain and Tall production saved the day. However, the train has been preserved and is on display at the town's museum. This is a, okay, interesting. Sometimes they do quotes. The past steps on the heels of the present, whether you like it or not. My guess is, because it's been a bit since I watched the movie, what, like I said, when I worked at the video store, we had the first and second movie on VHS, and after 9 o'clock, you could play something that was G-rated. I was always playing Sarah Plain and Tall, and Skylark, and Old Yeller, and Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. I'm sure I even played Where the Red Fern Grows, all my childhood favorites. So this movie was released February 3rd, 1991. Filming locations, Osage City, Kansas, Stonington, Maine. Okay. Um, It doesn't say anything about as far as the budget of the movie or anything like that. 
I think I want to wait till the end of the movie to do some reviews. So I am going to, let's jump right into the movie. Real, one last thing. They do have Sarah Plain Tall, all three movies, on Amazon right now for 20 bucks. That is not a bad deal at all. Also, the DVD does have a making of section, which is pretty cool. You get to see interviews with the cast and the crew and the author as they talk about bringing this movie, to, this story to life. Actually, now that I think about it, the last time I watched this movie probably would have been when Jeremy and I and his mom all lived in that townhouse. I'm definitely getting video store flashbacks of me playing this movie on the television. The first image that pops up, or the first thing we hear is Caleb's voice, and this is a song that carries through, I believe, all three movies. Billy Boy, Billy Boy. And we see the title of the movie, Sarah Plain and Tall, come up. We see young Caleb, even at age... I'm guessing he's gotta be... He could be eight. I would honestly put him closer to six. But he's already, you know, helping out, you know, bringing in the sheep. He's got his walking stick or his staff and... The sheep are following him. It's almost like routine with these sheep. It's like they know exactly where to go. They're, they're not plowing him over. They're, he's just walking on one side of the path and the sheep are walking on the other side. Actually, another thing about the song that he is singing, the instrumental version of that does play in the movie. Like, you'll hear that sound like, oh, that's like the song that he was singing in the beginning. It is. It is. Another thing, book to movie. In the movie, there is only Nick, the dog, Border Collie. In the books, there are Nick and Lottie. I think just Nick is a Border Collie, and then Lottie is like a darker-haired dog, uh, kind of an all-black dog. So I don't know why they didn't include Lottie, because she is in three of the book well she might I she's actually in all five of them and by then when we get to the final book spoiler alert Anna gets married at the end and Caleb young six or eight year old boy here in the first movie is away at college continuing his studies so I would say if anything the books span at least a decade or more in time so it just kind of, we kind of see the family just doing their everyday chores. This is, it should tell us, I think we get a timestamp of like, oh, this is Kansas. It's around like nine, early 1900s. While Caleb is dealing with the sheep, we have Anna milking the cow. Again, probably getting milk. That cow does look a bit on the thin side. You can see its bony hip bones. And almost kind of ribs showing a little bit. Oh, as we do see Lexi Randall, we also, you know, Anna, we see her name come up. We see Christopher Walken, Glenn Close. And we get a special credit here and introducing Christopher Bell. Doesn't say introducing Christopher Bell as Edward. Sorry, guys, I was just thinking of Silver Spoons and their theme, how it says and Joel Higgins as 
Edward or whatever. This just says, and introducing Christopher Bell. So while the kids are doing their chores, we do have Jacob, their father, out in the field with his horse. And it looks like he's getting ready to plant the field. Probably having the horse kind of, you know, carve up rows and stuff to be planting. I like how it's like early morning. Everyone's kind of starting their chores. The sun is starting to come up. Oh, there's even a scarecrow in their little field there. Oh, I think that's supposed to be corn. So Caleb's asking Anna questions while she's getting breakfast made for everyone. And I'm wondering if this is something he asks on a daily basis just because Anna is just like, uh, again with this, I, every day we do this. Because Caleb's like, did Mama sing every day? Because I'm going to tell you, their mother sadly passed the day after Caleb was born. And he doesn't know anything about his mother. But Anna does have memories, so she's able to, you know, share this. But Caleb is one, he is a repeat questioner all the time asking questions. Which, there's nothing wrong with being inquisitive. That's how we gain information. Although when you're asking the same questions over and over and over, like maybe any young sibling does to an older sibling, it gets, excuse me, it gets on one's nerves. I would know I was the younger sibling. I probably asked a lot of repeat questions all the time. Maybe because I like the answer. And I think that's what Caleb likes. He likes talking about, you know, himself and how he came to be. And he likes to hear about his mom. So, yeah, he's asking, did Mama sing every day? And did Papa sing too? And Anna's like, yep, every single day, Papa also sang. So, it just seems like a cloud has kind of settled itself on the house where everyone knows their own responsibilities. It's just ever since, you know, their mother passed away, there's just a dark cloud hanging over Jacob. He's just been sad. He doesn't sing anymore. Probably because it reminds him of, you know, his wife who had passed away. It makes him sad. Probably the same thing with Anna. Like, oh so yeah, Anna's like 10 years old and she's making, you know, breakfast. I This has got to be breakfast because the sun is still like, uh, I think it's breakfast. Either that or is it. Is it dinner? Because she's actually making bread and she's cooking something on the stove. What do you think about it? She is a young girl who, after her mother died, she had to take on the responsibilities. She probably started at what? Maybe... I, I honestly think there's at least maybe a two to three year age difference between Caleb and Anna because she does remember these things. But... The thing is, she had to start taking on the role of a housewife, you know, uh, you know, motherly, you know, taking care of her baby brother. Her father has to be out in the field, you know, making sure the crops are, you know, growing as they're supposed to and everything. So, of course, Kale wants to hear again the story about how he was, you know, when he was born, how'd I look like? And she's like, well, you didn't have any clothes on. He's like, I know that. So she says, you looked like this. And she holds up a big 
bundle of yeast bread. That's I think that's what she's making is bread. And he's like, I had hair. And she's like, you didn't have enough to talk about. And he, he already knows the story because he's filling in. like, And she named me Caleb because that means bold. Caleb means bold. <laughs> Anna, of course, as she's making this bread, is like, you know, I would have named you Troublesome. And I like how Caleb is like, and she handed me to you and said, and said, it's like, come on. Finish the story. We all know how this ends. And Anna says, yes, she handed me to, she handed you to me and asked, isn't he beautiful, Anna? <laughs> uh, and Caleb's like, and I was. He's like, and I was, the end. And she's like, yeah, that's your ending to the story, Caleb. Uh, she says, when you were born, I thought you were pretty homely and plain looking. And she adds, you had a terrible holler and a horrid smell. Well, he was a baby. What do you expect? And it just, bleh, sad from there. As Kelly just so sad when he says that. And it's my fault Mama died the next morning. And Anna goes over to her brother and puts her arms around him and says, Caleb, I never thought that. Never. And she even blames herself. She says, I forgot to say goodnight to her. That's what I thought. And Caleb says, and Papa didn't sing anymore. No. No, he didn't. The house and the children's clothes definitely look drabish and and dirty even with the sunlight peeking in the house just looks really dingy probably for the time did mama sing every day every single day every single day and did papa sing too yes <coughs> papa sang too don't get so close to him he'll heat up what did i look like when i was born Okay, so we do get a timestamp. It does say Kansas 1910. 
And Caleb asks Anna, do you remember any of Mama's songs? Anna says, well, some of them. And I like Caleb saying, you know, maybe if you sang some of them, I might be able to remember Mama too. And Jacob, of course, is coming in from the field. You know, he's there's a bucket out there and he's washing, you know, the dirt from his neck. And he's just kind of overhearing the kids, you know, talk about missing their mom. And it seems like in a way, like he's kind of been closed off from his kids. I mean, he loves his kids and he shows them affection. But I think on an emotional level, he's kind of closed himself off, kind of closed, you know, put a wall up around his heart. When, especially when it comes to his wife, Catherine, who passed away. I love, he is so fatherly. He comes up behind Anna, who's still working on that yeast bread in that um, large trough-looking, like, pan. He comes up behind her, and he's like, oh, nice, soapy smell, that bread. And she's like, Papa, that's my hair. And I love how he gives her a kiss on the cheek, and she kisses him on the cheek. It just, it's, it's so sweet. So it looks like they put a lid on that yeast, hopefully, probably to let it rise. And Caleb tells his father he caught a horny toad. You want to know what that makes me think of? Old Yeller with Arliss catching that horny toad and giving it to the original owner of Old Yeller. He, like, makes a swap for him, you know? I mean... Like, hey, I can take this this horny toad. You know, I've been looking for a, a good one. This one looks good. I think I'll take it. And you could have that. You sure you want that mangy, yelly, yeller old dog? I will definitely cover Old Yeller. Because it is such a good, yes, a sad movie. But it's beautiful. I just noticed the back of... I don't know if it's called a, if it's called a pinafore. Like you know how Vicky and Small Wonder has that. Uh, I know there's a proper term for it because I see, like, Laura Ingalls when and Mary when they're younger, they're wearing that. Anne from Anne with the an E, Anna Green Gables also wear. There's a certain word for it, and I cannot for the life of me think of what it is. But the one that she's wearing does look like it's homemade. It's made out of like a sackcloth because it does have, it looks like it's made out of like, like, um, a package, um, of, of chicken feed or something for, because it says like a hundred and something pounds and it's got a picture of a chicken on it, but I'm not putting down that they don't have a lot of money. It's not like they're buying the greatest clothes. They buy what works for them. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he, Caleb says he put the horny toad in his pocket. And Anna's like, he's not still in your pocket, is he? And Caleb's like, no, I took him out and put him in the garden. I figured he'd be able to get all those bugs. So they all sit down and say grace. Caleb says grace, and he's like, God, thank you for the food. Except for the turnip. I've never had turnips before. I don't think that'd be something I'd be into. Maybe if they were cooked right with butter or whatever you put, you know, turnips into. Or cut them up really finely so I can barely taste them and sprinkle them on something. I might be amped to try them, but... <laughs> I love the look Jacob has when Caleb says, Except for the turnip. <laughs> so this is where... 
Jacob informs the kids that he has put an advertisement in the paper for a mother for the kids, a wife for himself to kind of help out. And the kids had kind of been through this before. A woman named Kelly had stayed to help out probably shortly after the wife had passed or a few years ago. Because Caleb actually remembers woman named Kelly who like snored a lot like no 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 not a housekeeper no it's for a wife for a mother for you guys a while back I placed an advertisement in the newspaper an advertisement what for someone to help us out another housekeeper not like Kelly she snored no not for a housekeeper barely read it. A kind moment to share a life with a widower and his two young children to make a difference. Your picture necessary. Oh, Papa. I proceed an answer. Dear Mr. Jacob Whitton, I am Sarah Whitton from Maine. I am answering your advertisement. I live with an older brother, William, who is about to be married. I've always loved to live by the sea, but at this time I feel a move is necessary. And the truth is, the sea is as far east as I can go. My choice, as you can see, is limited. This should not be taken as an insult. I am strong, and I work hard, and I'm willing to travel, but I am not mild-mannered. If you should still care to write, I would be interested in your children and about where you live, and you. Very truly yours, Sarah Elizabeth Wheaton. P.S. Do you have opinions on cats? I have one. Papa? Yes? Ask her if he sings. So Jacob sits down at the table with the kids, and he informs them that a while back he placed an advertisement in the newspaper and right away Caleb has questions like what for and Jacob says for a wife because Caleb immediately thinks like they're getting I guess they had a housekeeper named Kelly who really wasn't a good fit for them she snored all the time and Jacob says, no, for a, a wife. And Caleb asks Jacob, and a mother? And he's like, yeah, that too. And he tells him that he's received a response from Maine. And he begins to read Sarah's letter that she sent to him. And of course, you can tell right away Anna is not on board with this because she says, we had a mother. So she is really not receptive of this idea. So I like, he hands the advertisement to Anna to read and she reads it. Needed. A kind woman 
to make a life with a widower and his two children. To make a difference. No picture necessary. Yes, because they don't, that's right, they don't send pictures. Now that I think about it, when they're sending letters back and forth, getting to know each other more, they don't send pictures. Because I remember when Sarah, and we'll get to it, when Sarah's waiting for Jacob to come and get her at the train station to pick her up, there's a couple guys that come through, and she's kind of scrutinizing, like, could this be him? Could that be him? When Anna hands the advertisement back to Jacob, she's just like, oh, Papa. Like, the way that she acts is like her father's trying to get back into the dating circle again, and he's trying out one of those dating websites. Like, oh, not again. I think it's more the fact it's like, She's not ready to have... She even said, you know, we had a mother. like, And she will continue this behavior even once Sarah arrives there. Anna is really... She is a hard shell to crack. She's pretty much taking care of everything. Her, her father, her brother, you know, making breakfast, doing the laundry, you know, all of that stuff. So the idea to come... Someone from the outside to come in and take over. It's like, uh, I don't know if I like that. Yes, Jacob and the kids' last name is Whitting. Sarah's last name is Wheaton. And we do see, we go and see Sarah for the first time. She is a tall, I guess if you want to say she's plain average looking. I mean, she's, she's beautiful. And she's hanging out in in the garden. I guess she lives with her brother and his wife. I guess whether they had just gotten married, so she feels like maybe she's kind of cramping their style. Like I'm in my thirties. This is a little inappropriate. Maybe I think even back then, women that weren't married by age thirty were considered old maids. So. Oh, she says that her brother is about to be married. Okay. So she does explain that she feels a move is necessary. She's always lived by the sea. So she's definitely looking for a change in her life. And definitely Kansas will be a change from Maine. You're not going to get those nice ocean breezes off the ocean there and all of that. She says the she's surrounded by water really east is as far as she can go. So I and then she also mentions how her prospects are kind of limited. So I'm not really understanding what that means by limited as in there aren't a lot of eligible men where she's at. And maybe she's just looking for, like, I gotta get out and kind of see more of the world and see what's out there. I mean, in a way, this notice that she answered was probably, you know, this was her, th she even says to her brother, I have to go. This is my chance to, to start my life. Like, her life has kind of been, I don't really want to say on it's not like it's on pause. It's more like it's 
a routine that she's gotten comfortable with, which there's nothing wrong with that, but at some point, you gotta take a step in a different direction and see where it leads you. Because if you just keep walking down the same road, nothing is gonna change. And that honestly could be said for myself, too. So Sarah does give insight into her personality. She says she's strong and she works hard, but she's not mild-mannered. So she tells that, uh, she tells Jacob that if you're still interested after, <laughs> after I, I've told you how I am, um, I want to know about you and your kids. Oh, also, do you have an opinion on cats? I have one. So after Jacob finishes the letter, right away, Caleb asks Jacob, Papa, ask her if she sings. So Jacob, you know, has a look of, you know, he's looking forward to seeing where this is going. Caleb definitely is on board. Anna, of course, is really reserved. Like, she is, she doesn't want this at all. So we jump back over to Maine as Sarah is getting the next letter from Jacob talking about Caleb and Anna. So we learned that Caleb is six. Okay, I didn't think he was eight. I think that's in the next movie. <laughs> but he did send a paw print of his dog, Nick. And I think in the letter back, Sarah sends a paw print uh, of uh, Seal, her cat. So Jacob lets Sarah know that Caleb's a little worried that she won't like their house. Like, it's got small rooms. It's not like a big house. And he's kind of holding his breath like, oh my gosh, what if she doesn't like the house? She's not going to like us. She's not going to want to come here. So, of course, in Maine, Sarah helps out her brother, who's a fisherman, bringing in, you know, fish and clams and whatever else. And William doesn't want her to leave. He says, Meg says there's plenty of room in the house for you to stay. And she tells him, no, William, I have to go. This is my chance. And I'm taking it. So William continues saying, you belong here. And I like what Sarah says. She says, if I don't go now, she says, I'll never know what it's like to have my own life. Now Sarah definitely has an adventurous spirit. She is not, she wants to get out and just see things and, and do things. All right, so now we're going to meet Jacob's neighbors, Matthew and Maggie. And Matthew is kind of in a similar situation as what Jacob is going to be entering into. Matthew has two daughters, Violet and Rose, and their mother passed away. So he kind of went the route that Jacob is now going into with the trying to find a wife and mother, a wife for himself, a mother for the girls. 
And it's it worked out because she stayed. And so yeah, I don't know if I mentioned it, but Maggie is pregnant, and that is something that is going to come back later on in the movie. And the thing is, when I was reading the books, because I read all five of them in this month alone, because they're very, very short, the whole thing with Maggie and her baby kind of just happens, like, off the page. Like, you hear, like, oh, she had a baby. But in the movie, there's more to it. There's even something that Jacob is personally dealing with that I will get to towards uh, that time in the movie. So, Rose and Violet take Caleb, like, hey, our bunny had babies. Want to check them out? Okay. And this is where Jacob is telling Matthew and Maggie his plans to bring on um, a woman from Maine named Sarah who's going to look after the kids for, you know, a little bit and take on, you know, the wifely duties as well. And, of course, he doesn't really want to talk about that with Anna there. So he's like, Anna, go with the other kids. Go hang out with them. Go see the bunnies. And Maggie even was asking Anna, like, do you want to stay for supper? I have leftover chicken and and corn and some type of pie. And ugh. I just, I love it when, ugh, it's just, the food sounds like it's, it's great because it's from scratch. No, actually, it's after Anna leaves. And they both kind of look at, they're asking him, like, how is it, how is everything? <clears throat> and right away, he doesn't say anything. And they're like, is, is something wrong? He's like... Well, I've had a reply to my advertisement from a woman in Maine who's going to come and stay for a bit. And Maggie is a little concerned, like, Matthew said, oh, is, is she interested? Because Jacob says, you know, I had a reply. And Jacob says, no, she's going to, she's actually coming. She's going to, she wants to do this. And Maggie asked Jacob, like, are you sure about this? I mean, are you ready for the, what this is going to be like? Because he probably thinks about it, like, this is going to be an adjustment for everyone. You're basically having a stranger come into your, your home and, you know, be with you and your kids and everything like that. Isn't that kind of similar to, like, um, in a way, like a mail-order bride in a way? Something like that? So now we're going to hop back over to Maine as Sarah is getting her suitcase packed. And she's saying about her favorite colors, the colors of the sea, blue, gray, and green. Aw, seal. Her gray cat. Aw. Right, now we're going to go back over to Matthew and Maggie's as... Anna is kind of wandering their living room looking at... Maggie's things and how she kind of, you know, incorporated her life into a life with Matthew and the girls. So Maggie comes in to ask how Anna's doing and Anna replies, you have nice things all around you. And Maggie says, well, your mother had nice things. You remember them? And Anna says, I remember candlesticks on the table and a painting of a, a picture of a bird and a quilt that mama had made. And the thing is, I think when she passed, 
Jacob was so heartbroken that he didn't want the reminder. It was too hard for him. So I believe he probably took everything that was Catherine's, his wife, all of the things she loved and had around the house, and I believe she put them in a trunk because I do believe later, I'll get to that, I don't want to spoil it, but. Oh, Maggie actually does remember, because she's saying, your mother made this for me a long time ago before Caleb arrived. So she's been there for quite a while. I think that the girls are right around Anna and Caleb's age. So, yeah, she hands Anna the shawl that Catherine had made for her. And Anna right away starts to open up about her fears of Sarah coming and what it's going to be like. She's not going to say, you know, she's not going to, you know she won't. And Maggie kind of calms her fears and says, I came here to be Matthew's wife and Rose and Violet's mother. I stayed. So she basically, like, I was in the same situation that um, the woman who's going to be coming to stay with you guys. That I was in the same exact situation. I stayed. You know, I became Matthew's wife and Rose and Violet's mother. Yeah, she's just worried that Sarah is not going to be anything like Maggie. She's not going to be nice. And Maggie says, your father wouldn't do anything that would hurt you kids. He's only doing what he feels is best. And Anna tells her, what if he doesn't know what's best for us? It's like, yeah, well, you just, you gotta, you gotta wait and see how this is gonna, this is gonna, it's gonna affect you all indefinitely. It's going to be a big, big change you're all going to have to adjust to. So, there, everyone's on the porch, and Maggie starts singing a song, and they all join in. Matthew's on his harmonica, and Caleb starts talking about the fact, like, maybe I could get a harmonica. I could carry it in my pocket, like a little music in my pocket. That's right, I do remember later on he's playing the harmonica, and I don't know if he does this. You know, he's just a kid, so he's just, he's still learning, but. <laughs> so, Jacob calls the kids, say, hey, it's time to go, and Maggie gives Jacob the shawl that Catherine made. She wants to give it to Anna, and Jacob immediately is like, no, there's no need for that now. It's like, please let her keep it. So luckily, Jacob hands the shawl to Anna, and they move on. All right. So Anna and Caleb are in the barn, and since Caleb can't really read yet, he wants Anna to read the latest letter that Sarah had sent about about Seal and how she got her name and other things, and... <laughs> And she's like, oh, Caleb, you've memorized this already. And he's like, just read it, please. Oh, my goodness. So this is where Seal encloses the uh, picture of her paw print. So it's almost like the way she's responding. Like, Seal says that Nick's paw print is larger than hers, and she likes dogs most of the times, and this. And <laughs> Caleb is 
so excited. He's like, Papa, look! There's a little ink pop, cat paw print on a piece of paper. <laughs> Sarah also says that she can keep a fire going at night, and she doesn't know if she snores or not because Seal has never said anything about it. I don't think Sne I don't think Seal would. Caleb goes over to Jacob and says, Read your letter again, Papa. So this is, I think, going to set up Sarah explaining, I'm going to arrive by train, and you can pick me up at this time. So she tells him she will be wearing a yellow bonnet, so that way he can easily find her at the train station. And she says she will stay for one month to see if she can make a difference. Oh, she also adds that she's plain and tall, hence the title, Sarah Plain and Tall. And Caleb's like, she's coming, she's really coming. And Anna, of course, being the stick in the mud, doesn't mean she'll stay. And Jacob just looks at her like, really? You gotta stop with that girl. Of course, she added another PS or PPS saying, tell them I sing. Aww. It's exactly what Caleb wanted to know. So Anna's getting the spare bedroom all set up for Sarah's arrival. Jacob is dressed very nicely in a button-down shirt with a nice vest. And Anna, of course, before Jacob comes into the spare bedroom, she's looking at her mother's things in the chest that's on the floor, in the trunk on the floor. And she is just so upset, just saying, why did you ask her to come? We don't need a stranger here. And Jacob tells her, you and Caleb need somebody. And she says, no, we don't. We're fine by ourselves. She'll be Caleb's mother's, but she's not going to be mine. So Caleb, excuse me, um, Jacob takes Anna aside and says, look, just because this person is coming does not mean we're going to forget your mother. We're not going to, you know, lose her memory. And Anna starts crying because she says she's starting to forget what her mother looks like. Now, this is back in the early 1900s where on only special occasions you probably got, you know, your picture taken. So, really, all you probably did have to remember what someone looked like after they passed, probably would have been just the picture in your memory. So Anna tells Jacob, you need to go, Papa. You're going to be late. And he tells her, no, I'm not leaving until you're all right, until I can see you smile. So Sarah exits the train. She's got a little wicker cat carrier, which I guess that's what they had back in the day. Maybe you could only get them in Maine. I don't know. But uh, she's dressed. She got that yellow hat with the, it's like she's got like a little, um, like yellow, like canary yellow, like scarf kind of going around, kind of keeping the hat in place and everything. And her outfit is very pretty. She's also got a parasol and a... Clothes for a month <laughs> in a bag that it doesn't look very big though. But so she gets off the train in 
Remember how I said that they didn't exchange pictures, so she has no idea what Jacob looks like. But she sees this rather, you know, hefty, overweight guy, you know, stand up from sitting on a upturned box. And she thinks, oh, is that him? Then she sees another guy that's leaning against um, a railway post. And he's got a mustache. And she's thinking, could this be Jacob? You just hear ceiling. I think I can't wants to get out. Oh, that must be her trunk of stuff. I was going to say, if she's staying for a month, that little bag of whatever's in there is not going to be enough to get you through a month. I think that's what that trunk is for. Okay. So she stops into uh, the train depot and she wants to get a ticket, a one-way ticket back to Camden, Maine. You know, in a month when her time is up, if, if that's what she wants. Okay, I guess he looks at her like the way that she's dressed isn't how people around there normally dress. So he's just kind of giving her a funny look. And she's looking at him back like, it's their problem? He does say thank you. Like, he's rudely staring at her. Maybe not, I don't know rudely, maybe just, I don't know. It's just, what's your deal, dude? Sure, I'm not from around here, but you don't gotta stare. So she picks up Seal and the cat carrier, turns around, and there's a man in shadow in the doorway. And he comes in, we see that it's Jacob, and he takes his hat off. He's the one that asks, Sarah? Sarah Wheaton? She, of course, has to be sure, like, Mr. Wheaton? Mr. Whitting? He asks if her trunk is outside, she says yes, and he introduces himself as Jacob. It's just, it, it seems like, um, a little, maybe a little uneasy. I mean, they're both nervous. Like I said, they've never seen each other before. All they know about each other is what they've written in letters. So, it's an awkward, cute, kind of, sort of. So, he hears the old meow. He's like, oh, your cat? And she's like, yeah. So, he goes down to take the bag, and of course, she's like, no, no, I'll, I got it. So I'm looking at Jason. Why did I just call Jason? Jacob. I'm looking at the wagon, and it's basically a flatbed wagon. There are no sides to it. It just makes me nervous with that trunk, and she puts seal behind the seat there, and I'm just like, if I were, if that were me, I would be putting seal in the cat carrier on my lap. I would not trust that it wouldn't accidentally fall off. Granted, I mean, the trunk is right behind it, but even still, it's like, it could fall off the side there. There's nothing keeping it from falling. Oh, that just, mmm, mmm. I don't like that. But then again, when I was traveling, you know, moving from Michigan to Texas in September, we had, you know, I heard I figured Quinn's regular cat carrier is not going to do the trick. I got this giant, soft, padded uh, dog carrier to be able to fit a litter box and, you know, food and water. And I just, I felt bad for Quinn just because she had spent over two days in that thing. Even when we stopped at the hotel, we couldn't let her out because what if she got behind the bed? And I just... 
oh, she's just so miserable. And I just, I told Jeremy, because we are also traveling with a rabbit and um, a hamster, which sadly they both passed shortly after we arrived at our new place. Um, I said, never again. I would never make that that journey. It was early September, but it was still, it was getting up in the high 80s and the 90s. And sure, the car has air conditioning, but it's it's just, it's not like the air conditioning really reached the back. And even if you open the windows, it's like all you're getting is hot air. And I felt horrible because it's like you're basically sitting and, and they all, all three of them have fur coats. So it's just like they're basically being baked in their fur coat. Oh, I just, I felt horrible. I just felt so bad. So, yeah, they must live in a small town in Kansas because every, it seems like everyone knows everyone. Everyone's saying hey to Jacob. Everyone's looking at Sarah like, who is this lady? What is she doing in Jacob's wagon? I mean, even the, the, what, this, I don't know whether she's a shopkeep person who's running a convenience store or what's going on. But the way that she, because everyone there is kind of dressed in, like, drab, dirty clothes. Not, maybe not all dirty, but when they look at Sarah, she's more, you know, pretty well put together. I mean, she is from Maine, but she's dressed, I'd say, in her Sunday finest. While everyone else is kind of dressed like they've been working the fields in Little House on the Prairie. Sarah eventually asked Jacob, uh, is it my hat? Is that why everyone's staring at me? And Jacob assures her, no, I, I, we just, we don't get a lot of new people here, so. Oh yeah, he has not many visitors. And Sarah's like, oh, I get it now. So we go back to the house. Anna is sewing. And Caleb comes out, wiping his face, asking Anna, is my face clean? Can my face be too clean? And he's just worried, like, oh, she's not going to like the house. I told him it's, it's small. She might not like it. I love how Nick's just hanging out there. He's just sleeping on the porch. Like, yeah. He's just voicing his worries. Like, what if she thinks we're loud and pesky? And Anna says, Caleb, you are loud and pesky. And he's also worried, you know, Sarah likes a C. We don't have a C here. And he's also worried, like I said, about the house. I told her it was small. What if she doesn't like that it's small? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. And he's kind of, gra he's grabbing her hand. So he's also asking, will she be nice like Maggie? And Anna's like, I don't know, Caleb. Just wait. Hush, please. And then he's also asking, how far away is Maine? And, of course, I'm sure Sarah put that in one of her letters that Caleb has memorized. And Anna's like, Caleb, stop. Just leave me alone. Enough with the questions. So, yeah, I mean, if you read the book, which is maybe 40 pages long, the dialogue it is literally verbatim the books. Straight from the books. So... We cut back to Jacob and Sarah. They're kind of making, you know, small talk, chit-chat to fill the awkward silence. As he mentions to her, it's six miles to town, which 
if you're in a car, <laughs> that's no problem. <laughs> if you're in a horse and wagon situation, which everyone there was, it's a little bit of a haul. And Jacob goes on to say how, you know, the spaces here seem to make people nervous. And she says, well, I'm used to the open sea. Yeah, there's a lot of flat land. It's basically all open space. And I, I grew up out in the country, so I, I think that's what I'm trying to, like, whenever I see, like, an open field with, like, some hay bales or something in it immediately or even an open field with some woods or just it it brings me back to home it makes it comforts me so again with the small talk he asks how the train is she's like oh yeah it's fine comfortable and she asks where the kids are the kids jacob says they're at home waiting for us to get back and he explains how i I thought it, it was best that you and I kind of get more acquainted before we meet the kids. It explains how Anna's a little shy about this whole thing. She's not really on board with it. But Caleb, of course, I mean, he loves your letters. He has us read them to him every single day. He's memorized them. He's just literally counting down the days, the hours, until you get there. He also explains Catherine died six years ago when Caleb was born, so it's been really hard for him. And he's trying to get out, he's trying to say, like, I hope um, you didn't expect, and she says, it's alright, Mr. Whitting, I didn't come for love. So, he is like, well, actually, what I meant to say was, uh, I was hoping that you didn't expect the house to be in perfect order. I mean, I didn't ask for love and that's really there's no mention of that when he put that advertisement out he just said someone who could make a difference he didn't say anything about love which love between two people does take time to be able to grow you have to talk you have to you know experience things together and eventually develop a connection and you know I mean, this is new for both of them. Not just the kids having to go through this, but these two as well. Did you bring some sea? Something from the sea. And me. And seals, too. Right down it. She'll be good in the house too. Yeah, she was a house cat, not a barn cat. Did he just roll his eyes? I brought this for you, Caleb. Where I live, the gulls fly high and drop shells on the rocks below. When the shell's broken, they eat what's inside. That is very smart. And Anna, this is for you. Sea stone. The sea washes over and over and around it, rolling it into its round and perfect. That is very smart, too. No, thank you. Oh, come on, Anna. It's just a stone. 
Payless. Payless means bold. Are you bold? Yeah, very. Oh, there's a little scarecrow in there. When will we sing? I like to sing. So do I. Soon. In time. Everyone's going to kind of get used to. Aw, he takes her hand. So, Jacob and Sarah arrive. Anna and Caleb are on the porch. They're a little nervous. Like, okay, here we go. How's this introduction going to go over? So, <clears throat> Jacob helps Sarah down. By the way, the first thing that Caleb asks Sarah is, Did you bring some sea? She says, Something from the sea and me and Seal, the cat who's probably been baking in that wicker basket. But then, that's the thing about the movies. Like, the first one is set right around spring. The second movie is set during, like, midsummer when there's a giant drought and no rain. Then the third movie is set, like, right around March and Easter. March and April, right around the time of Easter. And there's a big winter storm. So, Nick, who's a border collie, comes over smells seal and then he lays right down by sarah <laughs> and jacob goes on to say like oh yeah cat will be good in the barn for mice and sarah says yes yeah, she'll be good in the house too because you know seal's a house cat and i swear jacob as he's pulling that trunk off the the back of the wagon rolls his eyes when she says that <laughs> great now i got a disagreement already <laughs> you haven't even been here five minutes <laughs> So she actually brings some gifts with her. She brings a shell for Caleb. She explains how the seagulls drop the shells after they eat what's in them and they drop them on the rocks below. And Caleb is just, he is smitten with her. He's like, that is very smart. And she also asks, like, Caleb means bold. Are you bold? And he's like, yes, very. <laughs> And she does give a stone to Anna, who, of course, she's not about this. She's like, no, thank you, and hands it back to her. I'm like, Anna, it's just a stone, okay? <laughs> but she goes into the house. She put Seal back in the cat carrier. Yeah, she must have put Seal back in that cat carrier, because as soon as she picks it up, so Caleb right away is like, when can we sing? I like to sing. And she's like, me too. We'll sing soon. And it's like, she just got there. Let's everyone kind of establish and just get the introductions out of the way. Just the singing will come. You, you all got to start to slowly gel and blend and know each other's routine and stuff and kind of get a rapport going before uh, we can get into com you need to get comfortable with each other before you start singing together so it's the first morning and Caleb is watching Sarah sleep and he says to Anna she doesn't snore and then of course they get called away for their chores as soon as they leave, she opens her eyes, and we hear this meow. Aw, Seal laid on the bed with her. Wait, that's Nick's face. <laughs> Nick's got his his face on the uh, comforter there, just looking at her. Aw. Oh, and there's Seal on the bed. Okay. So, Sarah gets out of bed. She puts her, 
you know, house coat on or if you want to call it a robe or however. She lets Seal outside and the dog Nick outside. And she kind of wanted to, this is, I really, I don't know how much of the house she actually has gotten to see. It seemed like when she arrived, it was like the middle of the afternoon or evening. But she's actually now able to walk around the house and kind of get a feel for where things are and just kind of getting a, um, a look around. Of course, she sees Caleb and Anna who share a bedroom. Their beds are all made, so they're not there. She also sees the kitchen table is still got breakfast dishes left on it with food still accumulating on uh like, okay, and, and the look of it, it's almost like, am I supposed to be a housekeeper, or what? And, or almost it's more like, what have I got myself into? It almost looks like regret kind of registers on her face, like, oh boy. But then she immediately is like, alright, nope, just start getting things done. She starts putting um, her stuff in the night table or bedside table, along with her return ticket to Camden, Maine. That cow was just too skinny for words. A cow shouldn't be that thin. But Anna's getting milk from it anyway. Sales hanging out in the barn with the kids on an overturned milk bucket, and Anna <laughs> takes the cow's udder and squirts milk at Seal. That's mean. You squirted milk right in your face. Well, that's a nice welcome not. So Jacob comes up, sees Anna milking the cow. Anna just kind of gives him a look and goes back to what she's doing. And Caleb is like, see, likes it here, Papa. And then we hear the front door shut on the porch. Or is it the back door? It might be the back. Okay. So <laughs> Caleb runs out and shouts to Sarah, Seal's happy here, Sarah! <laughs> well, maybe she is. I mean, cats, I mean, with their facial features, I mean, you can tell when the cat is irritated, especially the ears. But when they're happy, I mean, I think they got a little smile on their face. I didn't see a smile on Seal's face, but with a dog, definitely. You see dogs smiling all the time. You could tell, like, they have this big old grin on their face. So, Jacob comes out to meet Sarah and says how eager that Caleb is to have her here. Sarah makes a point about the coffee, like who made that this morning, and Jacob tells her that Anna's been trying her hand at it. Sarah immediately jumps in and says, well, she doesn't drink it, does she? Alright, so she makes point, like, I'm gonna get up earlier in the morning, I'll make the coffee. And Jacob tries to get Sarah to understand, like, you don't have to do that. You're a guest here. And right away, they kind of have a, a mini disagreement where she's like, oh, well, I don't want you to just think of me as just a guest. Like, that's not what I signed up for. It's like, this isn't a month-long vacation for Sarah. This is... Well, she came to make, you know, a difference in their lives. And, you know, also herself maybe have a change for her herself as well and you know to be able to grow and all that stuff 
So Jacob offers, like, hey, you want to go see the animals, see the barn? And she's like, well, could we take a walk first, you know, walk around the property? Because, yeah, they kind of need to lay down some ground rules of what exactly do you expect to get out of this? And that's where they find out they have different views of what her stay with them means. So Sarah talks about how it's windy and Jacob mentions about the trees, how they kind of protect you know, so it's not nearly as windy that his first wife, his uh, wife Catherine, was never a big fan of the wind. And he's pointing out the field here, which is sorghum. They're going to have to harvest that soon. Sarah's like, well, you have to teach me how to do that. And Jacob says, no, 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 no. That's, that's not for you. That's not why you're here. And that, I think this is where she says, I don't want you to just think of me as just a guest. And she even says, you know, I'm used to rolling on my sleeves, working alongside my brother, getting done what needs to get done. And Jacob, of course, mentions how he's having things done a certain way. So my guess is he's looking more for someone who's working in the house, working with the kids, someone who's, like, cooking, cleaning, all that stuff, which is probably what Catherine used to do. The kids even see that, and Anna remarks, like, Papa is looking for more a woman like what Mama used to be. Because Caleb, right away, you can tell by their body language with Jacob and Sarah, they really are unsure of each other. Like, they're not what the other person expected them to be right off the bat. So Sarah says, I'm not used to be being told what to do. And Jacob's like, yeah, I can see that. I'm used to having things done a certain way. And, of course, they bring up, you know, how ways can change. Jacob says, well, our ways are different. He stops, looks at her, and he's like, you're stubborn, aren't you? And she looks at... I need a bottle of water. She looks at him, and she's like, oh, and you're not. Like, you both are coming at this. You have your own ideas of how this is going to work out, or your expectations. That's just it. This is only day one. They didn't say anything about that in the letter. She did say she is not mild-mannered. She is strong-willed, and she is hard-working. She knew that Jacob came from Kansas. He's a farmer. He's working in the fields, and she is like, well, I can do that, too. I can provide that help, where Jacob's looking more for a woman to be a mother and someone who keeps house, which just exactly like what his wife was oh no Caleb right away thinks that they're friendly and Anna's like no they're not like do you see the body language so Anna says that Papa thought that Sarah would be more like Mama Mama did everything that Papa wanted as we see Jacob kind of running after Sarah's like just walking ahead of him just like okay this conversation I'm shutting it down and I think he's just trying to get her to see his side of things but he has to be open to her side of things as well if they'd have mapped out before she even got there what she expected when she got there and what he kind of expects from her I don't think this thing would have happened I really they just talked basic surface level thing. They didn't get into 
any of that, <laughs> the deep down where you, I mean, you're having someone come and stay with you. You, you want to know more than just surface level stuff, your favorite color, if you're an animal lover, you know, and what, you know, your appearance. You want to know the deeper stuff. So now we're in the house. It looks like it's much later in the day, like the sun's starting to set. And Sarah has just brought a, a banquet of just cool stuff for Maine that, you know, the kids never seen before. A sea urchin, a crab. It also shows a scale up. She has Anna go get a razor clam. And I think that might be when she goes into the nightstand and she sees the return ticket for Camden, Maine. And that's kind of the whole thing with Anna thinking she's not going to stay. Seeing that return ticket pretty much confirms her, her worries. Muscle and sea snail. She must have brought one of everything that she could find and filled her, her bag with it. But I think not just, you know, for the kids, but I think in a way maybe to remind her of home. I mean, yes, she does have seal there, but... Oh, the drawer isn't even shut all the way, and she sees that... What does that say? It says Hayes, Kansas? H-A-Y-S? Hayes, Kansas to Camden, Maine? A conch shell! I just read, um, I think it was in a Highlights magazine, because I subscribe to Highlights, because I, I like all the fun puzzles and stuff in there. And they're mentioning about a conch shell, whether you actually can hear the ocean. It turns out you can't. My grandma had one of those conch shells that was like a pale pink color, and it was really shiny, it was like really smooth to the touch, and it would always sit in that kitchen window right above the sink. And I, I probably, she probably did bring it, you know, to have me listen to the ocean. She probably even thought she could hear the ocean. I don't know. But, um, yeah, apparently you can't. I think it's just trapped air. Yeah, she tells him, hold it to your ear and you can hear the sea. And he does. And Caleb hands it to Jacob and says, Papa, listen, you can hear the sea. And he listens and he says, hmm, so that's the sea. And you just see Sarah look over her shoulder at him. I swear it's almost like she's seen him for the first time in a way. He's actually interested in, in learning about, you know, where she comes from. It's just, yeah. So it sounds like somebody came to vi visit or something. Oh, oh, okay. I know what that, okay. I know what that is. Um, but Caleb mentions to Anna and says, at least Sarah can hear the sea. And Sarah kind of looks at the kids. So I think Caleb is more like, it's nice that Sarah has these things that remind her of home while she's here. So, yeah, Jess is a neighbor, too. I guess through Matthew learned that Jacob is going to eventually be looking for people to help for the harvest. And he also brings up the fact that, yeah, he had, because um, Sarah comes out and Jacob says, yeah, this is my friend, uh, this is Sarah from Maine. 
And Jess also has a connection. I guess he moved to, he had been to Portland at one point. So they have that kind of connection going. Is this, I'm trying to think, is this where that church social thing uh, gets kind of mentioned? Like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I'll see you there. We can talk about Maine. Yeah, and he's just talking about, you know, the ships and, and the water and the cobblestone streets. And her eyes just light up, but Jess is actually kind of looking for something now to be doing, you know, before the harvest. He mentions how he could, like, you know, sleep in the barn or something like that. And it's like, no, unfortunately not. I'm sorry. Don't have any work right now. So, yeah, I mean, it looks like he's... It, this is a time where I guess farmers probably are really, really hurting until their crops get ready to harvest and they make their yearly money on it. They're probably looking for odd jobs like mending fences and stuff. And Jacob's like, well, I mean, yeah, sure, I need help, but I gotta get, you know, go to get the posts and the wire and all that stuff first. So. Picnic, yes. Okay, the church picnic. And after Jess leaves, because like, maybe I'll see you there, Sarah. We can talk about Maine. And, oh no, Sarah says we can talk about Maine. Okay, anyway, so after Jess leaves, Jacob brings up the church picnic is where everyone gathers together. You know, there's there's dancing, there's food, there's, you know, we sign on people for the harvest. Stuff like that. I love Caleb. He says to Jess, Papa's taking Sarah to the picnic. It's pretty much like... Sarah belongs to Papa. Don't you try anything, Jess. It's like, he's like, <laughs> like, don't you, you come and get her. Oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> marking the territory. <laughs> Kid. Oh, Caleb's the one that brings up dancing. And he says how Papa never dances. And Sarah says, well, everybody dances. And Caleb says, not Papa. Oh no, Caleb says, no, not me. I don't know how to dance. And she's like, well, I can teach you. So Sarah teaches Caleb how to dance. And <coughs> Caleb is looking at Sarah and asks, do you think maybe the four of us could have our own little dance here? Just the four of us? <laughs> just this boy, is just he is so in love with Sarah. Just the idea, just, you know, a mother figure. Because he's never had a mother figure. His sister, his... Sister, who's like two years older than him, does not count as a mother figure. Well, actually, wait, now that I think about it. Because in the sequel, it's been a couple years. So Caleb, by that time, is like eight. And then if that's the case, then maybe Anna's like ten. Or maybe she is eight and she's ten in the... I have no idea. So Sarah's going to go collect some flowers in the next scene, and she wants to hang them upside down so they keep their color. They'll have flowers all winter long. That is very interesting. Of course, that word, winter, Caleb grafts onto that and says to Anna, she said winter, that means she'll stay. I like how the instrumental music of the movie is also, like, the songs that the characters sing throughout, like Billy Boy, Billy Boy. Um, the other one that Maggie was singing with, you know, Matthew and Anna and Caleb and, and, you know, the girls. That's another song that was instrumentally playing. Um, a song that Sarah's gonna sing shortly. That's 
playing right now as Sarah and Caleb are looking for flowers. They're getting a basket filled with flowers. So while they're picking flowers, Caleb asks Sarah if she misses the sea. She says, yeah, yeah, I do. And she's, you know, they're in the field and she mentions how, and I've noticed that too growing up, when you look at an open field and it's a windy day and you just see the wind kind of rolling through the field, it does, like Sarah says, look like the rolling sea in a way, the way the wind is, you know, rolling through the, uh, the, alfalfa or or the grass or, or whatever or the field that they're in so everyone's in the house and sarah's hanging her flowers upside down in the house you know to keep the color and there's one in particular that she hasn't seen before and it honestly looks like dried out um wheat to me <laughs> or something and jacob tells her that's bride's bonnet so she mentioned some of the flowers that they have in Maine. Seaside goldenrod, wild astleys, astlers. I can't see. This is why I need subtitles. Wooly ragwort. <laughs> and of course, Kayla thinks this is the funniest word. And he makes up a little song about it. <laughs> so they all sit down to, I'm going to say this has got to be dinner. I think they're sitting down to dinner. And, of course, Caleb gets to say the blessing again. And I love how he includes Sarah in the blessing. I think he also says, I hope that she will stay or that she stays forever. Dad, thank you for all the food. Thank you for sending us Sarah. Would you please help her like it here? Amen. I hear seal. Okay. Supper's fine, Sarah. Ah, uh, yeah. Bread, too. Papa baked it. It's my mother's recipe. What does yeah mean? Well, where I come from, it means yes. Want some beans? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I like how she incorporates kind of her own, you know, if you want to call it slang or, or however, you know, people say you refer to certain things. She says, yep. And Caleb asks what that is. And she says, well, that, in, you know, in Maine, that means yes. And I love how he just grasps onto that. And he just, he's so adaptable and it's just so adorable. And I like that in the prayer that Caleb says, Please help Sarah like it here. So, of course, now we're outside. Jacob's coming in from the field, and Sarah is singing. This is just a sweet moment because Anna joins in. Because Caleb, of course, he's already singing with her And when he learns the words. And then Jacob starts to sing, and it's just such a sweet moment. Just Sarah is just having this. I know that Anna still is a bit of a hard shell to crack. She's still, she's still a, a bit reserved. Mm -hmm. 
that to me when I'm your age, Caleb. I like it. Sing it again. Right. Summer is a coming in. Loudly sing cuckoo. Grow a seed and blow it me to spring it wood anew. She's singing a song that her mother sang to her when she was about Caleb's age. And the kids are, especially Caleb's, getting into it. And Jacob comes up onto the porch and immediately the singing, Sarah stops singing. And he goes to the door and she says, sing, Jacob. And he starts to sing and then Anna comes in and then they're all singing. And she mentions how, you know, tomorrow I want to, you know, see the sheep because I've never pet one before. And she mentions how she's, she would, you know, pet seals, real ones, and how they would bark. And, of course, it causes Nick to bark. And, she, and Caleb, of course, mentions how, like, I wish I could touch a seal right now. And Sarah says... Me too. And the look that passes between Sarah and Anna, it just, it seems like it's a, more affirming the fact that Sarah, Anna just thinks like, no, after this month is up, she's going to go. As much as Sarah's talking about how much she misses Maine and she's talking about Maine and Anna's just seeing this as reasons that Sarah's not going to stay. She's going to go home at the end of the month. But the look that Sarah has is almost like she's scared to bring it up because she knows, like, in a way, maybe she's confirming Anna's fears. And it's it's, it's just, it's like, oh, I can't even talk about how much I miss Maine because I just... She just looks, Sarah just looks so apprehensive. And it's like Anna's an eight-year-old girl, but Sarah, I think, definitely feels like she is being judged majorly by Anna. And I don't, I mean, I really don't think it's fair. I mean, I get where Anna's coming from, but it almost feels like Sarah can't even bring up Maine without... Anna thinking, oh, she's gonna. She talks about Maine all the time. She's gonna go back. She's not gonna stay. 
So it's nighttime. Sarah just got back from a walk. She said it's kind of nice when the wind dies down. It's peaceful. She's running her hand through the water in the trough and just saying how she misses the water. Jacob mentions, you know, if you're going to go for a walk, you know, once it's dark out, you might want to take Nick with you just, you know, to be on the safe side. So Jacob brings up the fact that Sarah probably feels lonely and she says, yes, I do feel, I mean, you can feel lonely anywhere. And it's not just her being in a different place. It's kind of the reception that she's gotten. I mean, from, from Jacob, especially from Anna is not really making this transition easy and Jacob says you know I want this to work and she says I do too so she was seeing she was seeing a flashing light in this a small tiny light I thought it was like a uh, like a firefly but I think that flashing yellow light might remind her of like maybe the lighthouses in, in the sea that helped direct the boats and stuff. And she is feeling homesick. So in the next scene here, we have Sarah cutting Caleb's hair as she's humming Billy Boy, Billy Boy. Caleb is playing with like a wooden truck maybe that I don't know if Jacob is into woodworking and maybe handmade toys for the kids. I don't know. But Anna comes out and... I think that there's, like, loose hair or something that she flings off of a, a sheet. But she mentions to Sarah, oh, I usually cut Caleb's hair. And immediately, Sarah is, she relinquishes, like, oh, I mean, if you'd rather. And Caleb is like, no, I want Sarah to do it. I mean, because Sarah, obviously, she knows that, Anna already, I'm not going to say Anna doesn't like Sarah, it's just she, I think in a way Sarah is trying to not step on Anna's toes. Look, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, if you'd rather, and no, Caleb is, he's like, no, I want Sarah to cut my hair. And both, Sarah looks at Anna just kind of after Caleb says, I want Sarah to do it this time. Sarah looks at Anna almost kind of with bated breath, just like, what is Anna going to say? And Anna relinquishes, like, okay, I mean, if you'd rather. Oh, she says, you do it. Oh, that's what she, okay. One way or another, Sarah's got to eventually, she, I think she's going to, something she does is going to win Anna over at one point or another. It just seems like nothing Sarah says or does is... Uh, she's just so, she's so scared, I think, that by liking Sarah, like, she's gonna, lo what, lose memories of her mother? It's like, maybe she feels in her heart there isn't enough room for her to love her mother and like Sarah? Or maybe she feels like if I like her, that means I'm, I don't know. Well, again, thanks to not having subtitles, I can't tell because Caleb asked the name of William's boat, and I can't tell if Sarah says, like, a kitty wink or a kiddowink or something named after a gull that usually swims, or swims, like, flies out to sea. Oh, this is where she brings up her aunts. Yeah, that's right. Maddie and Lou and... 
gosh, I, I'm trying to remember. I know like Maddie and Lou and there's another one. Was it Hattie? I'm not sure. But she brings up that they wear silk dress dresses and they don't wear any shoes. That's the thing because you'll get to see the ants are in Skylark. I mean, I don't mean to spoil things, but you do get, we do get to see more of Maine in the sequel for a reason I'll divulge once we get into the sequel next month. And also, she says that the three ants are referred to, often referred to as the unclaimed treasures. I like that. I like that term. Okay, I'm not sure what Anna was tossing out with that little um, sheet or blank or whatever it was, but... Anna actually asks Sarah about her brother, William. Like, does your brother look like you? And Sarah's like, eh, I'm afraid so. Yeah, he's plain and tall like me. So she takes the sheet from around Caleb that's collected the fallen hair. And she takes it and she takes little handfuls and just like tosses it into the wind. And they're a little like, oh, what's going on? What's with it? Why are you tossing the hair? And she says that the birds can use the hair to build their nests. She says later we can look for nests of curl. And Caleb just latches onto that. So he bends down to Anna and says, she said later, that means she will stay. Okay, so Sarah is in Anna's room looking out the window at Caleb running circles around Seal the cat. Is he still throwing, you know, his cut hair into the wind? And I love how Seal's just laying there, just like, whatever, he's running around me, he's not stepping on me, it's fine. So Sarah comes into the room, and Anna's sitting on her bed, and Sarah, I think, hands her, like, a ribbon or something. And this is such a sweet scene. I want to play this clip because this is such a... A, it's a it's small but it's a big moment between them because Sarah asks Anna if she can um you know because Anna's hair is in pigtails and she asks you know can I um you know brush your hair out for you well not in so many words but and Anna just kind of nods her head but it's just it's a small thing but it's a big thing between it's like a step forward away for long days fishing and after that sometimes I I think he worked harder than he had to because he was so sad I had the aunts who loved me and William but it wasn't the same Like, like family. 
And the spell is now broken. Thank you, Caleb. So I like how Sarah tries to reach Anna in a way that's saying they are kind of similar. When Sarah was 10, her mother passed away and her father was constantly gone out on his boat working. And she says, you know, I think he worked harder than he really had to. Like, he was away a lot. And I think it maybe kind of hurt him to be around, you know, his kids because of what, you know, they reminded him of his wife and everything. And he was just sad all the time. And Sarah does mention, you know, she had her brother William. She had her three aunts that lived next door, basically. But it wasn't the same as having her father near. So in a way, it's like she's trying to tell Anna, it's like, you and I were alike in a, in a few ways like this. Like, I, it's almost like saying, I understand. I lost my mother just like you did. And also, it just, it's a, it's a sweet moment as Sarah is undoing Anna's braids. And it's, as soon as Caleb goes in there, it's like the spell between Sarah and Anna was just severed, just broken. Because he comes in and he says, you look alike, like family. And it's like, that's the last thing that Anna wanted to hear. And she hopped off the bed and walked out of the room with Caleb. I know, buddy, I know you're trying, but... She's really, she's just, she's trying so hard to try to reach Anna and it just feels like every thing she says or something she does, it's just, Anna is just, she's got this wall up, she's just not about, and I feel, oh, I just, I feel so bad because this just <laughs> reminds me of how I treated Pam, you know, if you guys are regular listeners, you've probably heard me mention Pam on, on the podcast and from time to time. And I was 17 when she and my dad started to date. And I wasn't exactly nice to her at first. Actually, I wasn't nice to her for quite a while. It took me quite a while to warm up to her. And, I mean, she and my dad never married, but they had been together for over 20 years from the time I was 17 until when my dad had passed away and I just I just feel I feel so bad that she tried so hard to get me to like her and she is the sweetest lady in the world and I just I just feel so bad that I just and I I think I felt like Anna did like, you know, this person thinking, what, she's trying to replace my mother? She wasn't trying to replace my mother. Like, my mother hadn't even been my mother for the longest time. But it's just, I didn't like another woman coming in there and feeling like she was taking my mother's place. And I think that's what Anna is feeling in a way, too. But, uh, yeah. Now, I don't know how much time has passed, whether it's been a week, a couple weeks, and I was just thinking, as as Sarah sits on that bed, it's like you can be with a house full of people and still feel so alone. And just seeing her just laying in that bed at night, you know, seals on the pillow next to her, and she just, I don't know, maybe she feels like she's not 
Maybe it's just, it's not going to work out because she's trying to reach Jacob. She's trying to reach Anna and she's just, where Anna's putting a wall up, Jacob and Sarah are just, they're two adults that come from two different worlds with their own way of how they do things and it's just trying to to meld that to, together, you know, and um, find some type of balance. And I think as time goes by, she's probably going to, like, if I'm not making a difference, if I'm not settling in and maybe realizing, like, maybe this isn't a, a good fit for me. Oh, at first I wasn't sure what that was because Nick's also lying on Sarah's bed. And mind you, I haven't watched this movie in years. I mean, I don't even think I've watched it since I worked at the video store back in 03 and 04. And I forgot about this scene. Anna has a nightmare. And she starts crying and gets really worked up and everything. And it's Sarah that comes to her aid and comforts her. I've never... I've only seen this either in movies or television shows, mainly movies, where someone has such a vocal nightmare that they're crying out. It almost sounds like they're in pain, and that's exactly what's going on with Anna. I mean, it just seems like she's very upset, and she's very distressed. She's calling out, you know, for her, her mama and everything, and I just, I love how Sarah in that moment just rushes to her and just just comforts her, like, no matter what's going on, like, the fact that Anna's got a wall up, but she clings to Sarah, and just, it's like, Anna, Anna, you're having a nightmare, and it's just, like, regardless of what's going on between the two of it's like, Sarah is there to help Anna through it, regardless, you know, whether she wants her to, it's like, oh, Sarah, um, Sarah brings the shawl that, the shawl that, Maggie had given to Anna that was her mother's and just like see this is your mother's see oh yeah that's good yeah because Sarah says like your mama made this didn't she and right away Sarah has pulled something out from the neck of her nightgown and was like see this was my mama's this necklace here and she, she's really trying to like help Anna work through this and this is where Anna tearfully tells Sarah that Papa put away all of the things that her mother loved. A, a, a picture, you know, a, a quilt, just everything. And it's just... I think at some point, I do remember Sarah going into that trunk and starting to pull stuff out. And Jacob's like, no, Sarah, don't do that. So she finds a way to reach this family that is so broken from this woman's death. It's like Jacob feels like the only way that he can, whether it's moving forward or maybe just, just taking all the things that remind him of his wife and locking them away. It's like, you might think that might be doing you good, but what about your kids? Anna still has memories of her mother. Caleb has nothing, nothing of her. And Anna cries to Sarah and says that Papa doesn't understand. It says, like, 
Anna can't even talk about her mother without her father like telling her, no, we don't need to to talk about your mother. I think it's just, it's so painful. It's like he shut that door and he doesn't want to open it again. Regardless of the damage that it's doing emotionally to Anna. Apparently Seal wanted to go outside. So Anna... Hopefully Anna's able to get back to sleep. And Sarah comes out, sees that Jacob is awake... Looks like he hasn't even gone to bed yet. He's still wearing his pants and, <coughs> excuse me, his shirt from when he was working out in the field that day. But he most likely got woken up by Anna's nightmare and just asks how Anna's doing. So Sarah tells Jacob that Anna is wrapped in her mother's shawl and Sarah does not have any, she does not know how to reach Anna, how to you know, get through to her, how to help her. And Jacob says after Catherine passed away, Anna would have these nightmares. Well, actually, Sarah caused some nightmares. And I guess she, they were so bad, she was having them every single night. And he just did not know how to help her through them. So Jacob says that Anna's better now. Oh, judging by that nightmare, I don't think that she's doing but if this were nowadays I'm sure that someone would suggest maybe Anna needs to talk to somebody whether it's a professional or somebody to get out the feelings that she's holding deep inside like what she's clinging to what she's holding on to and Sarah is blunt with Jacob she says Catherine is not coming back, no matter how much you and the children want her to. And she sees, I think, that all of them, in a way, are holding on to her, to her memory, which there's nothing wrong with that, but if it prevents you from continuing to grow and move forward and moving on from that grief... It's not helping. And she tells him... Perhaps it's a mistake to deprive the children of their memories. And he gets angry. He's like, that's enough. And he says, what do you know about it? And she just goes inside. I think she's going to that trunk and just, like, starting to take things out of it. Like, you need to let the... By locking that stuff in a trunk, it, trunk it's like he's locking up everything about her. It's just... Ugh. just I thought at first, because like I said, I haven't seen this movie in a while, I thought she was going to say that she felt it was a mistake that she had come there. Like, it's not working out. So she, yeah, she goes right to that trunk and she starts gently pulling stuff out. And she tells Jacob, Catherine meant for her stuff to be used and loved. And he said, yeah, he told her, I said, no, I don't want this. I don't think, I think she's, he, he is not being fair to those kids. And she turns to face Jacob and says, Catherine is dead. The children are alive and they need this connection to her. And she tells him, you know, reminds him of that ad. She said, you wanted somebody who would make a difference. And he says, yeah, I was referring to cutting their hair, teaching them to cook and singing with them. Helping them with their schoolwork. They're in school right now? 
I was not under the impression these kids were in school. I'm kind of wondering if this is kind of like an early, like, summer time where the kids are not in school. I don't know. Maybe the kids are homeschooled, right? I have no clue. It's like, those are just superficial things. Singing, cooking, cutting hair, helping them with their schoolwork, teach how to cook. No, I think what he meant, and she is 100% right when she says to make a difference, like to make an actual difference, she clearly can see this family is in pain and they're struggling. He tells her, this is a help to me. This is all, that's all I want. She tells him, I can't make a difference until you come to peace with Catherine's death. And he tells her, this is not your business. And like I quoted at the beginning before I went into the movie, she says, the past steps on the heels of the present, whether we want it to or not. That is a, that is a good quote. It definitely refers to when somebody comes in and joins a family. You are going to have all those memories that everyone else has, and you're trying to help maybe even make new memories by respect also, but also respecting the memories of that the family already has. Well, he tells her flat out how it's going to be. It's like, you're going to do what I want in this matter, and you are not going to discourage or encourage the kids to do otherwise or however he stands up to him says we will do what is right and he does not back down as he he tells her what is right in my house is what i say is right yeah they're kind of at an impasse here with neither one is about to budge Maybe you should have made that ad a little more clearly when it came to saying making a difference. I just asked for a housekeeper then, because that's clearly what it seems like he's wanting of her. So I take it he just went for a ride on the horse, tried to clear his head, because he's back now. He comes into the house, sees that picture of the of a bird that Anna said that they're her mother had painted, and also a smaller picture below that of Catherine. This is back in the day when apparently the, you know, the pictures were, you know, of course they're black and white, I get that, but I guess you don't smile, you don't show that you're happy, maybe that's just how people were back in the early 1900s, I'm not sure. He also sees her quilt that Sarah had put out. Of course, Sarah is awake, and she's hearing him kind of tromp through the house, almost like she's on high alert, like, oh no, what is he going to do? Is he going to come in here and start yelling at me and upset the children? So, I'm guessing, are they on their way to the church picnic, or... I'm trying to remember, but she, of course, tells Jacob that... She took out that stuff for Anna as a comfort. And she says, I'm not sorry I did it, but I understand that you're angry. So at least she is acknowledging she understands his feelings. 
She says, I know you're angry and I'm sorry for that, but I'm not sorry that I did it. Okay, it does look like this is the uh, the picnic because there are other people in wagons in nicely dressed Sunday best clothes. So, as Jacob and Sarah are walking along, and <laughs> she, of course, notices everyone's looking at her, and she asks Jacob, well, what did you tell everybody about me exactly? Like, what's my story here? So Jacob does tell Sarah, well, Matthew and Maggie know the truth, because I told them before you even got here. But as far as everyone else goes, you're just an old family friend from out east. <laughs> I love how Sarah calls him out like, you're such a fool, Jacob. Nobody here, not a soul here believes I'm an old family friend. Okay, so this is where she officially meets Matthew and Maggie. And I love how... <laughs> Caleb and Anna are already over there hanging out with Rose and Violet. <laughs> like, well, we're already, we're already doing our thing. So, pretty cool. So, Sarah lets on, like, apparently uh, Jacob told everyone here that I'm an old family friend, but I don't think anyone here believes it. And Maggie's like, you know, I think you're right. Maggie is very heavily, she is heavy with child. She is, like, about to pop. So if you think about it, Maggie was at one point in the same exact situation where Sarah is now. Maggie was once, you know, new to town. She came to stay with Matthew and the girls and everything like that. So at least you can kind of give Sarah an idea of just how people are when it comes to newcomers. Like Jacob said, we don't get a lot of new people here visiting or moving here. Maggie says, Sarah, the people here aren't truly unfriendly. They just protect those that they love. And Sarah says, yes, living and dead, which she's referring to Jacob and Catherine. And Maggie does tell Sarah, you know, we're the closest farm to you. So we're like your closest neighbors. And Sarah's like, yeah, sometimes when I'm walking at night, I think I can see the light on your porch. And Jacob introduces a, um, an older couple. Uh, I'm guessing they might be neighbors or just townsfolk. Oh, the the lady does say that they'll be at the they'll be at Jacob's house for the harvest. <laughs> I love Anna because Jacob introduces her uh, to Mavis. And Anna tells Sarah, oh, that's Mavis. She just really likes Papa. She invites him over to dinner all the time. Caleb <laughs> comes over and he is ready to get his dance on with Sarah. Like, come on, Sarah, we practiced. They're playing music. <laughs> yeah, they have a wooden platform out there on the grass. And there are couples dancing, so that's cool. Oh, Jess Cutson, the the farmhand, the guy who was asking to uh, mend fences or something. Oh, Caleb does not like this. He rushes over and he says, Jess stole Sarah away. Papa, take her back. <laughs> you need to cut in. <laughs> and Matthew makes a joke about how uh, it looks like Jess is kind of smitten with Sarah. <laughs> oh, Caleb will not stand for that. 
Oh, Jacob has to explain to Caleb because he says that Jess took Sarah away. Jacob tells Caleb, well, Caleb, that's called cutting in. And Caleb says, you cut in. Take Sarah back. <laughs> I love how Anna, it's almost like she gives permission to Jacob. And she kind of nods her head in the direction of Sarah. Like, come on, take her back. Cut in. So it looks like it's the next day and Jacob is showing Sarah how to run the plow behind the horse. And he's just kind of reminding her, just be careful. Don't let the horse get the bit, you know, don't let the horse think that he is in control of what's going on. You need to remain in control. And he also mentions about how Matthew and Maggie are going to stop by with a couple other horses, help with the harvest, all that stuff. And Sarah is just like, I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to ride a horse, you know by myself so I can go into town by myself if I need to and he's like you want to do it all don't you and she's like oh yeah yeah and for a minute the way that he he, he just looks at her like he's kind of seeing her in a new light with you know she well she said she wants to do all these things and she brings up uh Catherine and farming and Jacob tells her well Catherine was born on a farm. I mean, she grew up farming. That was, you know, her whole thing. Oh, she wants to drive a wagon and ride a horse. Yeah, when Jacob's looking at her, Sarah kind of looks over her shoulder like, what What are you looking at? Is it strange to see a woman behind a plow? I mean, surely Catherine knew how to do this stuff. And Jacob says, well, yeah, Catherine grew up on a farm. It was like breathing to her. So we do get a little bit of insight into... Jacob and Catherine. I he had known her all his life pretty much. They most likely grew up together. And then one day they were married and he says it felt like we'd always been married because they just they I fit so well together. So yeah, Jacob and Sarah are just kind of taking a break, getting some water, and Jacob asked like, Well, you must have had a man that felt that way about you. And she said, yeah, you know, that's the one reason I didn't want to marry him. So I guess the, the man that was interested in Sarah, I mean, she says they had known each other their whole lives. Their families, everyone expected them to get married. And I guess one thing that I guess Sarah didn't care for was the fact that he thought that he always knew, like, what she was thinking. And maybe it's, like, the predictability, the, the maybe the practicalness of that. It just seems like maybe she wanted more out of life than just someone who kind of got her all the time, which it depends. I mean... Maybe you want to get out of your comfort zone and you want to get someone that that challenges you and that every day is a new discovery in, in a good way. And sometimes when you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, it gets into a routine to the point where it almost like it becomes a rut and it's like you, I, I don't know. That's why it's always good to try different things 
with your significant other. Like, get out there, branch out, and just do... That's how you spice things up. You try different things together. And in a way, it's almost like you're learning new things about your partner. And maybe Sarah, in a way, felt like her life in Maine, going like she only ever really knew the sea. That's as far as she could go. She couldn't go any further. Like, she wanted... You know, that's just, she needed something to break up the monotony that is was her life. And Sarah walks away from Jacob. I think it's just they definitely have given each other quite a bit to think about as far as their views, even though in some ways are different. There are things that are similar about them as far as what they want, maybe in a partner. Well, here we go. Here is where we get the naming of the sheep. Okay, Harriet. I think that was the, okay, Harriet, and then I think Maddie and Lou. The lambs need the names. Okay, not the sheep. I want to play this. This is so cute. Okay, um, she says Maggie um, because she's saying that one over there with the black face, that one reminds me of Maggie. You know, her walk and everything. So, okay, a couple, okay, so we got Harriet after one of the aunts, and Lou, I believe, is also one of the aunts, and Maggie, the neighbor. Let me guess, one of them's going to be Wooly Ragwort, right? <laughs> Caleb starts singing the song. Summer, so, how you summer is a Coleman? Something like that. I think these lambs need names, don't you? Say, she'll be wicked and go swimming. Wicked? Swim where? We don't know how to swim. We don't know how to swim. Well, come on. I'll teach you in the pond. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so that term that, um, when Sarah says, oh, I'm hot, should we be wicked and go swimming in the pond. Caleb, of course, says he's never, he doesn't know how to swim. I'm surprised. So, does Anna not know how to swim? Because if she knows how to swim, why didn't she teach Caleb? Maybe because he's like six years old. I don't know. But the term wicked, that is that an English term? Because, I mean, I know the character of Sarah is from Maine, but Glenn Close, is she from England? I'm going to look that up. Well, it says that she was born and raised in Greenwich, Green, Greenwich, Connecticut. Doesn't say anything about growing up in England or anything like that. And the thing is, she's trying to put on, you know, she's from, her character's from Maine, so probably trying to put on a Maine type of an accent. So she runs off that dock and just jumps into the water. And Caleb and Anna are just laughing. They just think it's the funniest thing. So she teaches the kids how to float. Just basically sucking a, a bunch of air. And then you lie in your back. Because I, I 
don't know how to swim. I swim. I'm sure I've mentioned that on the podcast. I even went to the YMCA, joined a summer swimming class when I was 11, and I still don't know how to swim. I can doggy paddle, but that's about it. But I did learn that I can float, like how she's doing, like you, you, you suck in some air and then you just lay back and you're, you should be able to, you know, float like a balloon, well, not a balloon in the air, but you know what I mean. So yeah, they're swimming in a pond and I like how when she's like, you know, leaning back in the water and she's like blowing you know, um, water up, like, arching. And she says, Caleb, that's what whales do. Don't they do that out of their blowholes? Anyway. (laughs) And Caleb asks, Sarah, is this like the sea? And she's like, oh, no, no, not at all. This is not like the sea. Nothing like it. She explains to them that the sea is, you know, salty, and it stretches as far as the eye can see. And she, I love the way she describes it to them, because they've never seen the sea. She says, it gleams like sun on glass. Of course, when she talks about the waves, and Caleb's like, like this, and they get into, of course, a splash fight, because why not? I'm honestly partial to just being in, like, a swimming pool where I can see my feet. I mean, as a kid, I really didn't have any qualms of, oh, I can go swim in this lake, no big deal, right? But now I'm like, I don't know what's really in there. Even when we lived close to Lake Michigan, when we were like a mile, if that, from it, we only went to it like a handful of times. I think maybe five times out of the 12 years that we we lived near Lake Michigan. Oh my goodness. And Jeremy would go into the water. He's like, come into the water with me. I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. There'd always be like levels of like something going on with the water. Oh, this message is like, don't swim in the water today. There's a bunch of like green goop or whatever. I'm like, see, that's why I don't go. Plus I don't like that nasty, icky, like, how you smell after you've been out, you know, in a lake and you get out of here. Oh, I got a shower. I'd rather smell like chlorine than smell like uh, beach water. So Jacob finds Sarah and the kids just sleeping in the field by that pond. Just like, hey, we're going to dry off. We're just going to lay here take a nap. Caleb's the first one to wake up and he's like, shh. (laughs) And Jacob goes over to Sarah and kind of kneels down in front of her while she's sleeping. Anna's woken up and she notices Jacob there and she says, Papa, I had the most amazing dream where the field had turned into the sea and it gleamed like sun on glass. She says, I dreamed that Sarah was happy. And at that moment, we see Sarah as her eyes open and she sees Jacob there. Sarah is an amazing artist. I mean, she's just using regular white paper and just like, some pencils and she's just drawing a picture to send to William of just the the flat you know the fields and everything and she's miss she's looking at the picture like this is missing something well you could put some sheep in there maybe a cow maybe an animal okay come on Jacob that's not fair I, he's like is that a camel 
Um, it looks like a pretty decent cow to me. I mean, seriously, that's better than I could ever do. That is a great looking cow. That cow in that picture that she drew does not look malnourished at all. He's like, oh, I couldn't tell by the ears. Well, I can tell you right now, I don't know any camels that have um, udders. They have a hump, but it's on their back. It's not between their legs. I don't think they... I'm pretty sure a camel does not have udders. Okay, I'm, I'm sure that Glenn Close probably didn't draw these pictures. Whoever did, beautiful. I love the artwork. Uh, especially this windmill, just the detail that goes into it, just so good. Wow. I remember I learned, I'm not really much of a drawer, but when I was probably about 9, 10 years old, my sister would like be doodling on a piece of paper while talking on the phone. And one day I was just kind of watching what she was doing. And she was drawing a picture of a dog. And just by watching her do this, I did it myself, and I think I did a pretty good replica of it. And I just remember, like, that's how I would draw, you know, a dog. I'd just be doodling and just, oh, I'm drawing a dog. Oh, they're talking about their first words. And Caleb's first long word was windmill. And Anna says her first word was daffodil. Sarah's first word was dune. The kids don't know what a dune is. They've never seen a sand dune. Oh my god, those sand dunes. Whew. Jeremy and I, I, I think this was for our second anniversary. <laughs> We're like, hey, let's go up to and you know, climb some, climb some sand dunes because we've never done it before. And, oh, I mean, I'm still overweight. But I literally... I hadn't even been, gotten halfway up the dune, and I already felt like I was going to vomit. Because you get no traction as you're going up the... You're basically crawling your way up this sandy dune. And I just... I kept apologizing to Jeremy, and he's, like, way ahead of me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't do it. Eventually, I did. And it was windy that day, too, because it's like... You're trying to get a picture together and you got the sand like hitting you in the face and in your mouth and in your hair it's like okay we took our picture can we leave now i don't ever want to do that again never ever yeah she says when she and william were little they used to make sand dunes and slide into the water this makes me think of when my cousins and i would climb into the hay bales and like jump off a stack of hay bales luckily we didn't like break a leg or anything like that but we go into the hay barn and we would be, one time, I think it was like around Easter, um, my aunt's boyfriend's kids were, we were hanging out in the long hay barn with, you know, the regular sized hay bales. And then you had those giant round bales that you'll like, if you pass a hay field, they have those giant round ones. And we are just walking along, and there's, you know, gaps in between the round bales. Where it's like, if you're not watching with your footing, you're going to go straight down. Because they're, like, stacked, like, probably four or five high. And my aunt's boyfriend's son slipped. And luckily, we were able to pull him up before, oh, my God, I don't even want to imagine 
Oh my gosh. And plus, you don't know what's in those hay bales. I remember I found a litter of kittens. The cat we had at the farm had some kittens and they were wild. They were wild kittens a lot, you know, a lot of the time. They weren't tame, but I'd always try to tame them. Yeah, and just, you, you don't know what's in a mound of hay. Snakes, raccoons, mice. Yeah, you just, you never know. So just be careful. Just for safety's sake, don't go running around on a stack of hay bales. You're going to, you know, those things you know, slip, fall. It's not a good thing. So Caleb is disappointed because he says, we don't have any dunes here. And Jacob is like, oh, yeah, we do. They have a hay dune, a, a big, tall mound of hay they probably used to feed the animals with. And... I love how when they go out and Jacob presents our dune and they get a ladder and they all like take turns going up, climbing the hay dune and sliding down into it. It's just fun, fun times. I mean, back then you made your own fun. I was like, wow, it's really high up. Are you scared, Sarah? And Sarah's like, scared? Scared? You bet I'm not scared. She gets right up on that ladder like, you let me have that, dude. I'll show you I'm not scared. And she just, it's, gosh, I mean, if you, kids today just don't know the fun times you can have just creating your own fun and sliding down a bunch of loose hay. So she's going up the ladder, and Jacob says, if you do it, if you go down this dune, I'll teach you how to ride. And I love how she looks at him over her shoulder on the ladder and says, you'll teach me how to ride anyway. <laughs> I love how she stands on the dune and just looks at that full moon, because it's dark out. But it's just, from real high up, it's, you get a great shot of that full moon. in this. Gosh, this really makes me miss the country. <laughs> It really does make, miss me, make me miss home. I would definitely say hay is better for sliding down than straw. Straw is really, like, sharp and pokey, whereas hay is nice and soft and cushiony. I love, <laughs> so I was like, all right, now, because the kids have done it. I was like, okay, Jacob, now it's your thing. Nah, nah, nah. Like, come on, come on, just jump, just do it. Oh, <laughs> Caleb goes and all. Are you scared, Papa? <laughs> he goes down it like like he's diving down like you would if you were on um one of those rides at like a water park. The way he's like putting his hands out in front of him. At first I thought he was doing like a somersault kind of thing. Oh my gosh, is Nick gonna try it too? The dog's on the ladder and he's gonna try it too. <laughs> Go, Nick! Oh, this is a sweet moment. As Caleb's going again and we look at Jacob and Sarah and I love how it's kind of a reminder a little bit. He takes a piece of hay out of her hair and the look that they share between them. Is, so it looks like Sarah's, Sarah's made the coffee because he tastes like, oh, di nice difference that you've made with the coffee. <laughs> so she thanks him for the dune. He's like, oh, it wasn't a big thing. And she's like, yeah, no, it was. It was to me. Because he tried to do something special for her. You know that she's missing Maine right now and just like, hey, 
you may not have your sand dune, but we have a hay dune right here. Oh, Matthew and Maggie with the kids. They have some chickens to give to Sarah. And it turns out, <laughs> like, Anna's response, like, um, these chickens will not be for eating. Because um, she ends up naming one of them Dune. And I think maybe this is maybe this is where the other one's Wooly Ragwort. We get that again, that term, and she says, Oh, it's wicked hot. <laughs> and Matthew's like, Oh, it's a nice day, huh? Matthew gives the chickens, and there's three of them there, and Maggie's like, Yeah, for you, Sarah, for eating. And yeah, it's like Anna's like, No, these, they're not gonna be for eating. Oh, Anna says this while she's making, like, lemonade, and Seal's sitting on the table, and Anna's telling <laughs> Seal, like, No, those chickens won't be for eating. Oh, they even brought flowers to make a flower garden. Aww. Oh, yeah, she's going to lift that uh, wooden box of flowers. And Sarah says, no, you shouldn't be lifting. And Maggie tells her, don't worry, I'm not due for another month. Yeah, but still, Strin, you want to be careful, especially when you're, like, a month away. Like, any type of thing. Yeah. So Anna comes out and says that they used to have a flower garden, but now they just put flowers on Mama's grave. Unfortunately, they're the flowers that wilt and died pretty fast. Apparently, that's another thing that Jacob is just like, no, we don't need to plant any flowers at her grave. He just... But Anna wants to start putting flowers there again. Like, wouldn't that be a good thing, Sarah? Wouldn't that be okay? She's like, oh, I think that would be fine. So, Maggie and Sarah talk. Maggie says, it's not what you expected, is it? And Sarah says, no. I mean, it feels like Catherine is still here. And she says that it's almost like I can, I can smell her scent. And just Jacob, he, he won't let her go. And I think that is what's keeping him from fully letting Sarah in. Maggie asks about the kids, like, how is it with them? And... Sarah says, well, Caleb has so much room, but Anna, I mean, she says Anna's trying, but, and Maggie says, but it's not enough, is it? Like, maybe, you know, even though, I don't know, I mean, she'd be giving up her, her life and everything, which, I mean, she knew going into it that that could be a possibility if she wants it to happen. Yeah, I like how the the flowers are really brightening up because they're putting them in, in front of the porch and stuff. And it, just that color just really brightens up the outside of the house. And Maggie says, well, if you want to come and get more, I have more at my house. And at this point, Sarah doesn't know how to drive a wagon. Maggie's like, well, Jacob could teach you. And even Anna speaks up since, or I could teach you, because she knows how to do it, too. But she tells Jacob, like, Maggie brought me, you know, a garden. It's my garden. And it's almost like she's casting out a line to Jacob to see whether or not he'll, he'll take the bait. And he's just, he's, he's not responding in the way that she's really reaching out to him. And he is just... And, of course, Matthew mentions about how you must miss your family and your friends back home. I, d oh, I really, I feel for Sarah just, I mean, we, if you've read the books, you've seen the movies, you know how this ends. You know how it ends. But it just, it seems like the journey to get there is just, 
my heart goes out to her. My heart aches for her. Just she's in a new place in a, in a situation that, you know, she wanted a chance to try something new and not really getting the response that she wants from, from Jacob in a way. I mean, she understands, yes, he's still grieving. He's still closed off. He still has that wall up. But you just see little glimmers of hope kind of occasionally peek through, like with the dune and him pulling the straw, you know, the, the hay out of her hair and that look that they share every once in a while. And it's just, is it enough? Is it enough to make her want to stay? So Maggie and Matthew and the girls are off and she says, you know, I'll get out there, you know, before the baby arrives in a month. Okay, so yes, they do name the chickens. They name, Caleb names one Yant, Anna names one Dune, and Sarah names one Wooly Ragwort. <laughs> Looks like they're going to be headed into town, or they're just making a day of it. And Caleb's like, Papa, can't Nick come to town? And Jacob says, I think he'd be happier here with gophers to chase. I love that cocked head look that Nick gives Jacob. Like, kind of confused. Like, why can't I come? And Jacob just kind of looks at him like, kind of like, uh, not in a sense. Like, all right, come on. Come on, Nick, get in the back. So Caleb asks Sarah if she ever had a dog growing up. And she said, well, William had a dog named Gracie. And he'd take her out on the boat, but she'd, like, bark at the gulls, scare the fish. And it's leading to something, because Caleb says, well, Papa had a dog when he was growing up. Ask him. And Sarah's like, ask him what? And Caleb says, ask him what the dog's name was. So, is it really a joke, but she thinks it is? Because <laughs> she's like, well, what was his name? And Jacob says, guess. It's like, okay, uh, Rex. And Jake says, nope. Uh, Rover. Nope. And Caleb's like, no, guess. <laughs> she keeps guessing, like, no, there's a punchline to this joke. You'll, you'll get the answer later if you haven't already guessed it. Billy Mortimer, she keeps guessing at the name. I love how <laughs> Anna's just got this big grin on her face. <laughs> Sarah's like, uh, Henry. <laughs> and she says, spot. And Jacob's like, no, Sarah, guess. <laughs> Not a joke, but she's like, okay. So Sarah goes into this little, if you want to call it a convenience store, if you want to call it a... One of those old-timey shops. There's another word for not convenience store, but uh, a general store. That's it. As soon as she and Anna and Caleb's gone off to look at stuff, as soon as she does, we got three ladies that are just staring at Sarah like she's an alien from the planet Zorkon, which I don't think that's an actual planet name, but still. You'd think she had three heads, the way these ladies are, like, gawking at her. She went to the church picnic. My goodness, you act like you've never seen her before. I mean, yeah, they weren't properly introduced, but come on. Okay, so she does know Mrs. Parker, and Anna reminds Sarah, like, remember the list that was given to you? Yeah, you just handed it to the shopkeep here. So Sarah asks for canned peaches, and the lady points to the shelves, and she's like, oh, what about those over there? 
And while the lady comes over to get some, Anna kind of whispers, like, Sarah, her peaches are terrible. They're not good. Well, they may taste terrible, who knows, but, you know, it's the neighborly thing to do. She's trying to make a good impression. I mean, if she happens to stay there, she wants to make a good impression on the Tones folk. <laughs> and turned off by someone's homemade peaches. Yeah. Caleb's found a harmonica. <laughs> uh, he wants to follow Matthew's footsteps with a harmonica. So Sarah picks up a drawing pad for Anna. Like, would you like to learn how to draw? And Anna's like, I don't know how. And Sarah's like, well, would you like to try? And then, of course, the shopkeep asks Sarah if she has anything else that she wants to add. She says, yeah, this drawing pad, some colored pencils. Oh, and that harmonica over there. That he's playing with since he already put his mouth on it may as well buy it so we pass by it's not a huge cemetery there are some plots there and he's just kind of driving past it and anna asks are we going to stop at mama's grave today and jacob says no not today and sarah's like well i mean we can if you want it's right there i mean i don't mind if anna wants to and jacob just immediately shuts it down like no no we'll do it another day another day we'll do it not today and of course you hear caleb just going on and on and on with that harmonica maybe it's just as well that he's in the back of a wagon where there's all this open space and not in an enclosed car where you can't get away from the noise <laughs> Well, it's not like they have a radio in that wagon where they can just crank up the radio to drown out the harmonica playing. So Jacob and Sarah kind of walking around. They made a little, you know, picnic lunch there. Caleb's sitting on a rock with Nick right there. And Caleb's like, Papa, listen! And he keeps playing the harmonica. And Jacob's like, oh, you'll be sorry you bought that for him. I'm like, yeah, maybe. Sarah's like, well, I mean, at least we'll know where he is if he wanders off. We'll follow the harmonica sound. So Sarah asks if there's ever any geese there, and Jacob says, well, sometimes they're there, and then the next day they're gone. Anna's writing in her sketch pad. Eventually she does keep a journal, and I know that in the book series, that kind of goes from one person to moves on to another person and moves down to the next generation. Nick is like a wild thing, zipping back and forth along that blanket with all the... And, of course, now Sarah recollects what wasn't actually a joke, the name of Jacob's childhood dog, Guess. The dog's name was Guess. Yep. So Jacob's like, smart woman, but crazy, though. She bought Mrs. Parker's peaches. We all know those are terrible. <laughs> Well, live and learn, as they say. Caleb laughs so hard he falls off that rock he's sitting on. <laughs> he lands in the, the field of grass, so he's fine. So Jacob, as they're coming back to the farm, notices that there are vultures in the sky. There's something clearly dead. Turns out... Maggie... I don't know what she died from, but Sarah won't stand for it because Jacob's like, the bones will be picked clean by morning. And Sarah's like shooing with her hat like the crow's like, get away, get away. A coyote got, okay, gotcha. 
Maybe Nick should have stayed. I don't know. And seriously, what? While we were in town, did this happen? He's like, I don't know. Sarah, of course, is very upset. She's like, Jacob, do something. He's like, Sarah, they're doing their job. That's what the vultures do. The vultures and the coyotes, they gotta eat. This just happened. It's a part of life. And he tells her, the sheep, you, you can't think of them as, as pets or anything like that. This is a business. Oh, he said you can't let yourself get attached. No, when he says the sheep are not pets, he's referring to later on when they're dealing with um, a loss. And he mentions about probably selling off some of the animals to help recoup the loss. Sarah just runs off. So Jacob finds Sarah in the barn. I guess she didn't come to dinner. She's too upset. She's too distraught. And she explains about how, you know, this... You know, all these open spaces, you'd think there'd be enough room for everybody, but there isn't. And I think what she's referring to is Jacob's heart. It seems like he's just consumed with, with his wife. He's put up that wall. He's not letting anyone in, not even Sarah. And I think it's almost like, I don't know whether it feels like this is an ultimatum to him. As in, if you don't want this to happen then what reason is there for me to stay here? What, just for the kids? Because there's got to be more to it than that. Because if there isn't room in Jacob's heart to move forward, then, I mean, other than that, she's just going to be seen as a caretaker to the kids. So you can definitely hear in the next scene, there's a storm rolling through. The roof's got to be patched up. Sarah's comes out wearing Jacob's overalls. Of course, <laughs> Caleb's like, women don't wear overalls. And Sarah's like, this woman does. The roof needs fixing. So they try to work on the roof due to the storm. It, everyone kind of hunkers down in the barn. Sarah, of course, is looking for Seal. Like, did Seal come in here? And you can even hear it's raining, it's hailing, and they're like, because she comes into the barn and asks them, is Seal in here? Did you see her come in here? Maybe she's still in the house. So she goes out to look, like, don't go back out there. You can see she runs out, the, there's gusts of wind, there's thunder, it's just really, really heavy, strong winds. And she's trying to find Seal. She's trying, trying to find Seal. She's really upset. Like She's looking under the porch. She also mentions the chickens. And Jacob's like, Sarah, come on. This is crazy. We need to get into the barn. So Jacob's like, forget the cat. You're going to get yourself killed. The windmill ends up tipping over. Anna comes out. And Jacob's like, you need to get back in that barn. You're going to get hit by something. So Sarah goes over to Anna and says... Have you seen Seal? And Anna says no. And Sarah is so worked up and so upset and so frightened. She says, I never should have brought Seal. I never should have come here. And then she looks at Anna's horrified, shocked face. She's like, no, no, I didn't mean that. And Anna turns on her. She's like, yes, you did. I saw your return ticket and your nightstand. You never meant to stay here. You were never going to stay. So everyone's kind of, like I said, hunkered down in the barn. Caleb goes over to Sarah and asks her, 
what's the color of the sea when it storms? And she Sarah says blue and gray and green. And Caleb said, well, that's what's missing from your drawing. Colors of the sea. And yeah, he says colors of the storms, blue and gray and green. And immediately we're hearing hail on the roof. Like, And I don't think she's ever heard that before. So the storm's over. They all go out. They see the damage that the storm has done. Of course, a lot of damage, not just to a bit of the house, the surrounding fences, the barn, all that stuff. And Sarah just can't, I mean, the devastation is just, oh my gosh. I mean, the house is still standing, but there definitely is damage there. Of course, the flowers that were planted along the porch have died due to the hail. And Anna looks at Sarah and says, everything dies. And she comes over and hugs Sarah, and Sarah assures her they will plant more flowers in time. That's the thing I'm just thinking of that crop that they're going to harvest at some point. Is that crop, has that been destroyed? And Jacob and Caleb, they're all just kind of picking, you know, debris out of the, the yard and everything and putting stuff away and just surveying the damage, seeing what needs to be fixed and what's repairable and what is not salvageable. So... Sarah asks Jacob about the crops. He says two fields are gone, possibly a third. And she brings up the fact that she has money. He says, I don't want your money. He does bring up the fact that they may have to sell off some animals to kind of recoup on their losses. And when he mentions the sheep and the lambs, and she's talking about, you know, um, oh, not the sheep. You wouldn't really sell the sheep. And he gets angry. He turns. He says, the sheep are not pets. They're a form of income. When she asks, you know, can you replant? He said, it's too late in the season to be able to do that. We're just going to have to wait until the next planting season. And she's just surprised. He's like, we'll have to sell the sheep. She's like, sell the sheep? He's like, the sheep are not pets. We live by them one way or another. So she says, I want to help. How can I help? And he says, we'll be all right. We'll be fine. She's, yeah, she offers money. She's like, I have money. You're welcome to it. And he's like, no, we don't need that. And she gets angry. She's like, you don't need it. You don't need anyone. You don't need anything. You don't need, do you? It's basically, again, saying you're shutting me out again. You're not letting me in. Yeah, and she kind of comes at him with, you have no room in your life for anything or anyone because it's so filled with with Catherine. You don't want to let anyone in. So she tells him, there's no room in your heart. There's no room for anyone to try to make a difference. And he says, that's not true. It's like, I think it is true. I definitely think it is. He says, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And she tells him, like, some things you just can't, you can't make them happen. And she tells him, this isn't going to work, is it? And he looks over his shoulder at Anna and Caleb. And he tells her, the children are very fond of you, Sarah. So am I. It just isn't. And she says, it just isn't going to work. 
they're too different. He won't let her in. And even though the kids are fond of her and she's fond of the kids, it's like it needs to be more than just that. So Anna comes out and Maggie and Matthew stop by. Maggie's helping put the stuff on, you know, the clothes, the blankets on the line to air them out. And Matthew and Jacob call Sarah over and Anna tells Maggie that the month is almost up. And she gets a feeling like Sarah's going to leave. Oh, yeah, they found Seo. I knew she'd be somewhere. She knows how to hide. There's a problem. She hides. Anna says, now that Sarah has Seal, she has everything she needs to go home with. And Anna says, don't tell Caleb I said that. And Maggie asks Anna, are you sorry she came? And Anna says, no. Maggie tells her, neither am I. No, they're, they're good friends. Oh, she's so happy. She's hugging Seal. And Seal is so happy. Seal looks fine. She did, Her fur's not matted. It looks great. She doesn't look hurt at all. So, Anna and Sarah are going to go over to Maggie's and then, I guess it's kind of up in there, I believe maybe they go to Catherine's grave. Of course, Sarah has memorized all the terms for driving the horse, or however you want to, you know, with the, with the term of the wagon. She's listing all these terms that, I mean, I don't know what they are, but, I mean, this makes me think like it sounds like the equivalent of explaining how to drive a, to someone, explaining someone how to drive a car. And you got your gas, you got your brake, you got your turn signal, you got your steering wheel, you got your, you know, the blinkers on, you know, left, right, you got your high beams, your low beams, and all that stuff. So we see Anna and Sarah planting flowers all along Catherine's grave. It looks like she lived from 1884 to 1904. Let me check. What is that? That doesn't sound very old. So 1904 to 1884. She was only 20 when she passed away? And by that time, she'd already... She had Anna young. She had her very young. She must have had Anna at, like, 16. Because I'm guessing that maybe Anna was 4 when Caleb was born. So, like, if she's 10 now and he's 6. Wow, that is very young. And I know they married very young back in the day, like 15, 16 years old. But, my goodness. And Anna, Anna says, Mama will like these flowers. Sarah tells her, well, honey, the flowers aren't just for your mom. They're more for you. And Anna's concerned like it's going to hurt Papa because, you know, he's had a hard time. That's why they barely ever go to her, her, her grave and everything like that. And Sarah tells Anna, well, not any more than he's hurting right now. He's already hurting. These flowers, it's not going to make a difference. So Sarah tells Anna, I will handle your father. I will take care of this. 
And of course, asks a question that's been on her mind for a while. Tearfully, she asks Sarah, "Are you gonna leave us?" And Sarah tells Anna, "Is like, I your father wants me to be someone I can't. I can't be that person." And Anna's like, you, "But you could try, right? I mean, for Caleb, like." Jacob wants someone who, I guess that's what, just going to stay in the house and take care of the kids and the housework and the the meals? Is that, that just, that seems like that's what, maybe the fact that Sarah was out wanting to learn how to do all this stuff and that just reminded him too much of, you know, Catherine because, you know, she was born on a farm and do, born doing all that stuff, that that's just too painful for him. So Sarah comes into the barn and tells Jacob, I did something you won't like. Anna actually comes in and backs her up and says, no, we did something you will not like. As she's leading the horse and she tells Jacob, we planted flowers on Mama's grave. And Jacob looks at Sarah and says, it wasn't your place. And she looks right back at him and says, no. It was your place. While they're in the barn, we hear Matthew ride up on his horse calling for Jacob and Sarah. He says, it's the baby. It's too early. The doctor's gone. Please, can you come out and help? And Sarah wastes no time. Like, we'll be out there. Just give us a minute. So they're racing, you know, the horse to get there. And... Caleb is asking the obvious question that he needs to know. Is Maggie going to die? Is Maggie going to die like Mama? And Anna's like, Caleb, don't say that. And But Sarah's like, no, Caleb, no, no, she's not. I really, I don't know. I think maybe Caleb and Anna maybe could have stayed home for this. But I can only imagine what this is going to be doing to Jacob. This is like one giant flashback of him remembering how it went with Caleb's birth and his wife dying. Maybe they had a midwife or a doctor present when Anna was born, but maybe there wasn't a doctor present when Caleb was born, and I don't know. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think this clearly is Maggie's first child. She's never had a baby before. She's very much in distress, you know, with contractions and everything like that. Probably thinking it's too soon, whether it's two to three weeks early. We don't know. Maybe it is. And Sarah is right by Maggie's side, and Maggie is crying, just telling Sarah, I don't know how to do this. So, yes, she's never had a baby before. Usually that's why somebody's there to kind of coach you along who's delivered babies. Or really, when they're saying, okay, push, push, don't push. Okay, keep pushing. They're instructing you on the times to stop let the contractions kind of take over and then keep pushing because you're trying to get that baby out of your your lady parts without doing any damage to you or the child because that's what I think that's what contractions are it's like it's opening you up down there so that way you can deliver a baby your 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 parts down there aren't 
open like that. That's what that I think that means by dilated. Uh, pregnant ladies, help me out here. Women who have had babies, that's how it goes, right? That's what dilation is. It's kind of opening you up that uh, to be able to take get that baby coming through that that passageway. I'm guessing. And Sarah does not know how to have a baby either, but she maybe hasn't been around pregnant women or been in a delivery room. So I guess they're both going in this as newbies. That's the thing. I mean, I think of TV shows that have, there are probably more than five episodes of, of, of TV shows in general where somebody's having a baby that's never had, it's probably their first, they're stuck in an elevator with someone who knows nothing about delivering babies. Uh, Punky Brewster, for one. That That's one right there. Punky and Sherry were trapped in a hospital elevator with a woman who was giving birth. Alf, the, Christmas, the one-hour Christmas special. <laughs> He's in an elevator with a woman who's in labor. I think even Night Court had an episode with, um... With, with, um, Christine going into labor in an elevator. Maggie is crying, saying she's too old, and Sarah's like, oh, no, no, no. No, no. My, my mother was old. She was old when she had me. No, don't ask me how old her mother was, because I don't know. Maggie is like, how old? And Sarah, well, how old are you? And they both laugh. It's good, just trying to take the, the mind off the pain for a minute. And Maggie says something to Sarah that stops her cold. She says, you didn't expect to love him, did you? I think maybe along the way, deep down in Sarah's heart, she does. But again, it's two people coming from opposite sides. He wants her to be one thing. She wants to be allowed to be herself. So Maggie has Sarah get Matthew. I don't know what exactly he's going to be able to do. He's not a doctor, but just maybe having the husband by the side, I can imagine, must be very, very comforting. So, in the hall outside the bedroom, Sarah admits to Jacob that she's afraid. You know, she's never delivered a baby before, and Maggie's never delivered a baby, you know, went through this before. So, it, it's got to be very scary. You don't... And, and poor Jacob just hearing the, the crying and everything like that. It's just like, oh, he must be an emotional wreck. I mean, he seems like he's, you know, put together, you know, just sitting there. But I bet inside it's just like his emotions are all over the place. It's like, this is Catherine giving birth to Caleb, like, all over again. And mind you, this is in the early 1900s. There, she has nothing to help her get through this. She has nothing, no drugs to take the, the pain away or, or any of it. She's going, you know, this is this is how you did it back then. You didn't, I don't think you got the, uh, the effect of having that help to get you through. And Caleb said, why did you, where are the other kids? Have him go play with the other kids. I don't know what time of day this is, but... I really think the kids should all go play in the barn or look at the baby rabbits or something. 
they're probably not baby rabbits anymore, but still, it's like, he shouldn't have to sit there and listen to that. That is too much for his little mind. Jacob's staring at Caleb, and probably, like I said, he's probably getting flashbacks to what happened with Catherine. So, Sarah calls for Jacob and Matthew. She's got the baby out, but the baby is not breathing. So, he gives a little whack on the baby's back, and the baby immediately starts crying. Like, okay, that's why you want to hear sometimes. I were seeing those, you know, babies being born and stuff like that, whether it's in television show, like, uh, Look Who's Talking. That was a good one. Um... Where they're clearing out the baby's mouth, because, you know, I don't know what's in there. Maybe uh, the stuff from what they were breathing in when they're inside the mother. I mean, I don't know. You probably got to clear out that passageway, the airway, to get those lungs, you know, pumping and, you know, expelling air and all that stuff. But very relieved, the baby is crying, so that's a good thing. Like, thank goodness. <laughs> And of course, this is just a baby crying sound effect because that baby's cry does not match that newborn baby. <laughs> they do that sometimes. You can't expect a baby to cry on command or anything like that. So Jacob leaves and he's working through his emotions right now. You know, Maggie lived and her baby was fine and... That's got to be just so hard to just see that, you know, his wife didn't make it when she had Caleb. And just, ugh. I just, I can't, I can't imagine. He's just so upset right now when uh, Sarah finds him in the barn. So we get more insight into Catherine and Jacob. He explains that Catherine was too young. She was 17 when she had Anna. That is so very, very young. So, okay, there was a doctor present when Anna was born, okay. And the doctor, you know, Catherine was in a lot of pain. It took two days for the baby to come out. And the doctor even said that because Catherine was so small, like, maybe you should stop at this baby. It just clearly was too much of an ordeal. But Jacob says... I had a farm to run. I needed a son to kind of help me out. So, okay, so they did. They waited three years because he says, you know, I needed a boy to, you know, help out on the farm and everything and let you be all right. It's like time doesn't matter. It could be three years. It could be ten years. She's still going to be the same. You know, if she was a bit on the small side and stuff. And already it was a difficult birth with the first one. That's not going to change. Time is not going to make a difference. It's that her body really couldn't handle it. And clearly, again, I mean, he could have lost both of them. He could have lost his wife and Caleb. So, okay, I get what he's saying with, you know, his wife. It's like she was there one moment and then she was gone he didn't feel her curled up next to him in, in bed. But the thing is what he's trying to say, you know, I had a three-year-old. I had a newborn. I had crops and animals to take care of. I couldn't just, you know, sit and, and 
cry for what I'd lost. I had to take care of things. So he basically buried his emotions, shut everything out that reminded him of Catherine because he didn't, he, it's almost like he's saying he didn't have time to grieve and focus on the past. It's like, I got to focus on what I have. I have a newborn baby. I got, I got a three-year-old. And I can't even imagine how young Anna started out taking over household activities. Because Caleb even remembers that housekeeper Kelly that came along. And he's only six. So I don't know how long Jacob had someone come in there and start taking care of things. And then after Kelly didn't work out, clearly Anna's of age, you know, get her, you know, started working on some, Those kids really don't get to really be kids, you know? I mean, back in the day, I don't think, I mean, it was all about responsibility. It was all about working. They didn't get to sit. I mean, television wasn't invented then, but it's not like, you get home from school, you get to play for a few hours before dinner. No, there were chores. There were even chores before school. Even my dad would say that he would have to get up at like 4 or 5 in the morning and help milk the cows before he went to school for the day. I honestly think, yes, Maggie's, you know, giving birth to Caleb and surviving is bringing all of that pain that he shut out is coming to the forefront and just begging to be felt. The emotions are just begging and just like, you need to open up about this. You need to finally feel these emotions and let them go. Because he's hurting himself, his his kids, Anna, and, and, and he's pushing away Sarah. Someone he could really, truly love. Yes, he does flat out say, this was my fault. He's been harboring a lot of guilt for the last six years. That That is not healthy. But at least now, Sarah can... I mean, she already kind of knew how he's shutting her out and everything and how he's hiding his feelings and all that stuff. But at least he's being vocal about it and he's finally admitting it to himself. So seems like we're starting to wrap things up here. We do have Jacob finally going to, it's not that he's never been out there or maybe he has, I don't know, but it's been a while. And I think he's finally allowing himself to start to let go, you know, let go of the guilt and just, you know, uh, you know, say the things he wanted to say to Catherine when he, it was too late to be able to do so. That's the thing. I mean, people grieve in all different ways and we just need to be able to respect that. Jacob, lays down in front of the grave and, you know, puts his arm over it and just, oh, my heart breaks for him. This is just, this is just so hard for him. So Jacob comes back, finds out, looks like they fixed him a plate that's on the stove. He missed dinner. So the next day, Sarah's all dressed, basically in what she came with, but she leaves Seal there. She kisses Anna and Caleb goodbye, and she takes the 
rig into town by herself, which is what she wanted to do. And the kids, I'm sure, are worried. They think, oh, no, she's she's leaving. She's going back to Maine. And it's like, no, she wouldn't leave without Seal. I mean, she made such a deal about, you know, losing her. And that's thinking she lost her in the storm. She's, she's not going to leave her there. So he, Jacob quickly goes over the commands and also tells her it's best to be home before dark because it's hard to see without a full moon. So Caleb comes up to Sarah and asks, why can't we go? Why do you have to go alone? And she flat out says, because I do. So take care of Seal for me. And she goes off. So Caleb, of course, is coming back to all the reasons he thinks that Sarah wouldn't wouldn't stay. You know, I am loud and pesky. The house is too small. And Aaron's like, no, Caleb, no. She didn't flat out say she was going back to Maine. She didn't say that. If she was not, if she was not going to stay, she would have told them. Yeah, and it's like, the house is not too small. And Caleb says, she's leaving. And Anna tells him, no, she's not. She wouldn't leave without her trunk. She, Her trunk is still there and Seal is still there. She's not, she's just going into town. So Caleb and Anna go over to Jacob, who looks like he is sharpening a blade on the uh, stone wheel. I know there's a proper term for it. I don't know what it is. So Anna asks Jacob, what is Sarah going to do? And Jacob says, I don't know. Sarah is Sarah. Sarah does what Sarah wants to do. She does things her way. That's just who she is. So Jacob gets up and walks away from the, uh, I'm just going to call it a cement wheel. I know there's a proper term for it. So Caleb asks Anna, ask him if she's coming back. And Anna says, of course she's coming back, and she walks away from him. So Anna goes into the house, seals on Sarah's maid bed, and I think this is where she sees the return ticket. Well, but she yelled at Sarah during that storm and tells her, she flat out says, I saw that return ticket to Maine. You never intended to stay. Oh, that's right, because the ticket's gone. When she goes and looks at oh, that's right, and that's when she runs out to tell Jacob that the return ticket is gone. to town. So he gets to the train station, the train depot, sees the train has gone, and probably feels defeated. Because he thinks, well, that's it. She left. But he sees her at the train depot, standing out in front of it. No, she didn't leave.
No, he kisses her. So we go back to the house. Anna and Caleb are sitting on the front porch. Nick is underneath the porch. Caleb is wailing away on that harmonica. Oh, that's right. That's right, because she took the horse and the um, the wagon into town. Okay, I was going to say, how are they riding? Like, Oh, yeah, because they have his horse kind of uh, hooked up to the back of it. Okay, I get it. Oh, Caleb. The house is too small, we thought. And I am loud and husky. We thought you might be leaving us because you missed the sea. But I'll always miss my old home. But the truth of it is, I miss you more. Oh! She's kind of going back, you know, he, Jacob meets Sarah on the train platform and she tells him she was exchanging her ticket. She has some money. He takes the money and he kisses her and then they, he realizes, you know, he, he, he loves her and she, she loves him and, you know, they can make it work. So... The kids are back at the house, like I said. Caleb's wailing away on that harmonica. And this is almost like that first initial meeting, when, you know, but then they were more, there's a little nervous, a little hesitant, because they didn't know what to expect. But this time it's different. They're anticipating, you know, Jacob bringing her back. And even this time around, beforehand it was, Jacob telling Nick to be quiet. Now it's Sarah telling Nick to be quiet. And he, Jacob helps her down from the wagon. And Caleb says, I thought you were leaving because I was loud and pesky and our house was too small. Oh, Caleb's crying like Seal was worried. And he runs over to Sarah and wraps his arms around her. Poor little guy. And Anna comes over and says, we thought you might be leaving us because you missed the sea. And Sarah explains to him, like, yes, I'll always miss my old life. 
but I think I would miss you two more. Oh! She says, I the truth of it is, it is, the truth of it is, I would miss you more. Oh! So she hands Caleb and Anna a wrapped package and says, for you, Anna, and for Caleb, for all of us. And Caleb's looking at them, and they're colored pencils. I mean, they're colored pencils from the early 1900s, which they're not going to be like Crayola ones where you can tell what color it is just by taking it out and you see the color of the wood and the name printed on the side. No, it's just they're regular, just plain blend colored pencils on the outside. But on the, the tips of them, you can tell what color they are. And Caleb was like, Blue, gray, and green. And he looks up at Jacob and says, Papa, Sarah brought the sea. <laughs> I love the look and the smiles that Jacob and Sarah exchange with each other when they look. Oh! So Jacob goes over, picks Sarah up, and spins her around. And then we kind of morph into... Him doing that on their wedding day in front of the church. And Matthew and Maggie, they're, they're there. And their girls and Caleb and Anna are there. And that's how the movie ends. And we see the title card, The End, coming up. All right. Well, that was the movie. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed watching this again. I love this movie. I love the trilogy. It's so heartwarming and beautiful. The actors all do a great job in their roles and really bring the Sarah Plain and Tall story to life. All right, so usually with the reviews, I like to read one really good one and one not so good one. So the first review, of course, is from 2002. It doesn't have a number rating. It just, the title is touching. I remember reading the book Sarah Plain and Tall as a small child, probably for school or something. In most cases, movies based on books are usually a letdown. But this movie, in my opinion, was even better than the book itself. It's a wonderful story of a young male order bride who arrives, who excuse me, who travels from her home in Maine to the vast strangeness of under, of undeveloped prairie town, Kansas. One of the things I really liked about this movie was that it didn't have any sticky sweetness that is common in family films. Sarah, the main character, is far from perfect, and there is a constant battle of wills between her and Jacob. Probably the biggest conflict in the film, besides the fact that Sarah is extremely homesick, is that Jacob expects Sarah to be like his late wife, who seems to have been a plain, gentle, gentle woman. Sarah is nice, but she is also stubborn and quick to speak her mind. She and Jacob have come to terms with each other over and over again. Jacob's character was well-written. He's a man trying to raise his family the best he knows how, but he can't seem to let go of his late wife. He blames himself for her death and seems almost afraid to let his children remember her. He doesn't have much room in his heart for Sarah, but she barges in anyway, neatly disobeying him and breaking down the walls in his heart. The children were very good as well. Anna struggles with accepting Sarah and growing her growing fondness towards her. 
Caleb loves Sarah simply because he is small and doesn't remember his real mother. I thought the storyline was great, as well as the actual casting. Glenn Close doesn't usually play such wholesome family roles, but she actually pulled it off, which proves, of course, that she's a com she's a terrific actress in any role. She was convincing Sarah and gave her a little added spice. Christopher Walken also was great as the father who I think falls for Sarah without really realizing it. The children, played by Lexi Randall and Christopher Bell, fit snugly into their roles. The whole movie is very is a very touching family story. I give it ten stars for a wonderful performance. This I I love this review. I love this review. I love the words. I love how this person put the story basically right out for you to see in the review, which is absolutely beautiful. Now it's time to find a Stinkrith review. Because <laughs> there's always one of those that don't like the movie, probably never read the book. You know what, I can't find one, so we're just going to pass on that. So, next month, as I said, I'm doing the trilo trilogy here. So, January, I, you know, this month I did Sarah Plain and Tall. Next month in February, I'm going to focus on Skylark. So, I'm going to give you a little preview as to the storyline if you're not familiar with Skylark. This came out in 1993. <clears throat> Jacob's farm is in trouble from a severe drought. Jacob and Sarah begin to wonder if Sarah can stay and what will happen to Jacob if she and the children have to leave the farm. So this movie came out two years after Sarah Plain and Tall. And if you think that's a bit of a leap, there is a flat out six year gap between the second movie in the third movie so all right like i said i hope you guys enjoyed it i i love this trilogy it just it really is close to my heart the characters the storyline the instrumental music in it just in the songs that just the kids and everyone sang are instrumentally woven into the background so, enjoy the review, and I'll be back next month with Skylark. Bye-bye, everybody.